Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay. And I'm Shadow Chiba. I haven't killed anyone in 20 minutes. That's an, an incredible amount of time. You know, it's weird. He doesn't do enough in this movie, despite it being in the Sunny Chiba box set. It's weird that it's in the Sunny Chiba set because it's an ensemble cast and he's not even close to being the main guy. I think it's just a matter of they wanted to put this out and it's not a movie that can really sell on its own. I feel like if they put it out on its own, some animal <laughs> rights groups might be complaining about it. Just as for, for example. <laughs> Why would the animal rights groups have a problem with this movie? We'll, we'll have to talk about that. Uh, the movie we're talking about this week is Shogun's Shadow, a 1989 samurai mission movie, uh, but with a distinctly 80s twist to it. Uh, although certainly based on sort of a classic tale, it's very Seven Samurai-esque. You know, you have your literal Seven Samurai who are all really distinct characters and one by one they get picked off. Is it actually seven of them? It is indeed. Oh, yeah. shit. Uh, so director uh, Yasuo Furuhata, who I'm not super familiar with outside of this, although I think I've maybe seen a couple of his other films. A long career. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think I've heard the name before. Yeah. So uh, this one's about the, the a, a shogun ascendancy. So... I guess one of the things that's kind of tough to get past right at the beginning is that it's all this uh, bloodline stuff and, you know, the the next in line to the throne by way of birth. Yeah, there, there's a lot of that um, and a whole lot of it doesn't matter if they're capable of ruling or not. They're the son of this person, so they're in charge. That's kind of the main thrust with our Takichio, uh, who... I don't know, he's kind of a spoiled brat, and I don't like him very much. He kind of sucks. Like, he really sucks at the beginning, and I think we're supposed to feel that he's sort of turned around at the end. And he does do a couple, like, you know, he's defiant at the end, which is interesting. Yeah, but um, I'm not sure if he learned anything. or Right, well, like, I feel like he learned to hate his father. Well, that, that's, you know, that's a good thing to do in this particular case. Hating that guy is the right call. Hating that guy is absolutely the right call. And I mean, I guess we'll get to it, but I, I don't I don't really know what we're supposed to take from the the, the text scroll at the end in terms of uh, good or bad. But anyway, it opens up with our spoiled brat to and he's very much a spoiled brat at this point. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's one of those like. You know, he's the, the, the shitty Japanese kid. They're in all these movies. He's next in line to the shogunate. Uh, and they just have him in a steam bath and he's sort of wanting to get out. And the nurse is making like, no, no, just, you know, an extra minute for, you know, five more or count to ten. One more time for me. Uh, th- this is Lady Yajima, who's sort of the main character, or arguably after Gyobu. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, she she makes it to the end, at least, which not many people do. Yeah, she's sort of one of the major characters. She She's definitely the most resilient character, because she's the only one who's here in this opening scene who's there at the end of the movie, other than well, Takichio. Yeah, other than the kid, who's the whole point is to protect the kid, so, you know. Right. 
Uh, and the, the other maid goes to the door, and suddenly she is arrowed. <laughs> Just out of nowhere, first 30 seconds of the movie, hundreds of arrows. And like first... Yeah, just this this uh, nurse looking out the window just gets it in the head. And then we, we cut outside and just yeah, an insane barrage of arrows. So many arrows. People getting run through with like seven or eight at a time. Well, people getting run through with seven or eight of a single weapon at a time is going <laughs> to happen to a lot of people. Yeah, there, there's a, a spear variation on this later on. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a total massacre. They're just getting totally destroyed. Uh, and th- we have our baddies in the black and white stripes. The Flying Hamburglar Gang. Oh, they're amazing. Cause they're <laughs> all up in this one really tall tree. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody saw them there. They're, they're not wearing camouflage. They're in black and white stripes against a very green tree. They should have big sacks with dollar signs on them. And, and like they all jump in slow-mo down which is really fun and they've got that flying battering ram on wires it's like you know yeah. we'll, we'll acknowledge we're doing wire work here's our battering ram on wires <laughs> <laughs> this feels like it would be the climax of a different movie oh it's pretty amazing right at the outset i was like whoa holy shit <laughs> we're gonna get explosions here yeah, and we get some real explosions in this movie. There's one really special explosion in a later fight. It's an incredibly violent movie. And, you know, every little once in a while, you'll just get one of these all-out massacre sequences. Every, approximately every 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of just, you know, it's a Resident Evil carry mission. You you have to uh, bring... Yeah, you know, the, the frail character to the end of the massacre, right? Oh, I hate escort missions. Uh, they never they always either run too fast or too slow. I the the worst was back in Goldeneye escorting scientists or escorting Natalia. Not Natalia, uh the the blonde girl in that one. <laughs> I think it was Natalia. No, Natalia's the Oh yeah, no, you're right. It is Natalia. It's Xenia is the villain. Yeah, Xenia's the Oh, right. Xenia on a top. <laughs> uh, I saw that one in theaters. That's a bad movie. <laughs> mm. Kind of great, but sort of bad. But it inspired a game that kind of changed video games. So uh, I, weird. Oh, I, I love GoldenEye. I still love GoldenEye. An all-timer. So blocky, though. <laughs> it has not aged well. So uh, the nursemaid and the kid escape through this secret hatch under the bath, which was kind of oh, fun. Oh, yeah. That's so cool. They Like, it drains, the secret passage drains the bathtub and opens up this trap door and then fills it up again somehow. It's so cool. And they just see it starting to fill back up and they're suspicious when when they uh, come back in. And then the roof explodes. They, they also <laughs> left a bunch of explosives behind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's so rad that it, they had a booby trapped steam bath just in case yeah we get to see uh, our heroes who uh, we feel like we should already know who all these guys are they're all doing these big heroic things and a lot of them i never got their names even though they're major characters i don't think uh i don't think any of their names are mentioned a few of them are but it's very few i had a really hard time picking them out 
Yeah, I only ever went by nicknames. We got Monkey Guy, Bob Guy. He's the best. I love him so much. I love Monkey Guy. Uh, I think that might be Goemon, but I'm not sure. Well, that would make sense <laughs> if it was. Uh, but the uh, yeah, they, they have the big roof explosion, and then just landing in the wreckage, we're introduced to our pretty much main character, Gyobu, played by Ken Ogata. Our uh, our leader of our these guys kind of remind yeah they they kind of give me like a Robin Hood's Merry Men vibe too. Yeah, they're cool. They're this uh, really specialized Ronin gang, and they've hired on with, I guess, arguably the good guys. I well, the lesser evil at the very least. The honorable guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Sonny Chiba is the samurai who's working for the bad guys in this. You know, there's always one. And he, the whole movie, he has resting Are We the Baddies face. Yeah, he's like, I'm doing really bad stuff, and I know I am. Like, I uh, hate everything I'm doing, but I really love fighting. Like, fighting's very important to me. Also, I'm a samurai. Gotta obey the Lord. That's just the rules. That's right. Yeah, he he has to follow the law. He is strictly living by his samurai code, which, you know, that that's a character we see in a lot of um the uh the Zadoichi films. Oh yeah. Um maybe not so much in the ones that we've covered yet, but uh, I could see that showing up later. Well, I feel like he sort of represents every opposing samurai who works for the bad guy who just he works for the bad guy even though the two of them will hang out and, you know, shoot the shit and be like, yeah, we like each other. It's just, you know, when when shit goes down, we're going to have to kill each other. Oh, right. The guy, the that's the whole point of the guy from the first one. Yeah. Well, Sunny Chiba's not going to have uh, tea and go fishing <laughs> with Yobu. No, uh, he's a much more intense guy. And that's true of any Sunny Chiba character, I would say. <laughs> this one's not much like any of the other ones previous in the set, where he's much more of just the street fighter. Because Sonny Chiba is the Street Fighter as well. Like, that's his really big series. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. Those ones rule. We'll totally have to watch those sometime. Nice. So, yeah, we're we're sort of introduced to the Inner Circle. Uh, and they do get rid of all the bad guys. So, there, yeah, I, I don't know. There's uh, Genzaburo. I know that's one of them. He's, uh, I think he's the sort of punky guy. Oh, um, uh, Fishnet, yeah, Fishnet 80s man. I think that's Genzaburo. Uh, yeah, it's, it's tough. <laughs> <laughs> There's an old guy whose name I didn't catch. I did get his name somewhere because he lasts almost to the end. He's, well, he, he's the source of that great explosion. That, that sequence is unbelievable. Oh, that's the explosion you're thinking about. Yeah, that's the one I... (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah. So, yeah, they they offered to do the escort mission. We'll take the maid, we'll take the child. Yeah, this is the part where they're making the the whole thing about how, hey, we have to escort the child to the Shogun's thing for the coming-of-age ceremony, but uh, Prime Minister Abe wants to stop them. Right, we haven't quite gotten to that, because oh, he's no. just offering to escort them back to uh, where they belong. Like, the, whoever they're staying with, I guess it's Hota at this point. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I, I Someone 
reports to their superiors. I I think I, I think it's uh, Yobu comes to talk to uh, the the people who he knows, and they're saying, "Yeah, we know the Shogun sent the ninjas. It's definitely the Shogun. There's really no one else it could be. It's no secret he wants to kill his son." Yeah, which is like why I just don't understand then why they're bringing the son to the Shogun if they know the Shogun's trying to kill him. That's the part I never quite figured out. Because they have to. It's the Shogun's orders. If not, they'll just, you know, send in a bunch of ninjas and exterminate them in place with the kid. I'm a samurai. Gotta listen to the Shogun. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a no-win situation. Like, you literally have to take him because uh, otherwise everyone gets annihilated. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And if he's there publicly and they're unable to kill him along the way, then it it becomes a lot harder for the Shogun to pretend that his son was murdered by someone other than him. To the right, people although... Because, you know, as, as it said at the end, this will cause a rebellion if he does it, and people know he did it. Yeah, but the Shogun doesn't really care about that. He Is doesn't, it... but people think he does. It's the oh, Trump thing. <laughs> oh, I see. They they don't realize it's you know the the horse in the hospital, right? It, it's just <laughs> they they don't realize the chaos that's at the top. They they just think, oh well, I mean he'll be reasonable at some level. We know he's bad, but he'll kind of have to follow the law at some point. <laughs> if if we. If we just catch him on the right day, he'll follow the law. But that's that's not how crazy people work, especially when you have them in a really high level of government. Yeah, let's not try that again. The the absolute power corrupts absolutely thing, you know? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, yeah, they they say the immediate threat is Abe. Uh, He wants to insert his younger brother as a new shogun. That's his plan. Abe is not a good evil advisor. Abe's really weird. I I don't really get Abe's deal. He's he makes some bad calls. Uh, he yeah he he's <laughs> he he's not fit to lead the evil team. Yeah, maybe so. So, uh, right then is when Abe and Sunny Chiba as Iba. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Sunny Chiba, I'm Sunny Iba. The the chief guard shows up, so he is his top guy. And they kind of look alike. They they have very similar styles, Abe and Iba. Oh, um, and Iba's got the killer mustache, though. Abe doesn't, yes. doesn't have that. He's got the receding hairline thing. Yeah, he uh, Iba wears it better, definitely. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, Lord Hota, thank you so much for watching over Takichio during his illness. <laughs> These oh, he past was sick? seven years. He he was born and the uh, the Shogun didn't like him. So he was sent away because he was ill. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I think it's also that he was just generally weak as a child. Okay. Frail, ill. That that's why they were doing the steam bath thing. It's like, well, we need you to build up your strength. Okay, okay. Um, I thought they were just steam bathing him because they were steam bathing him. 
Yeah, I don't know. Because they, they keep coming back to it because he keeps getting wet and they have to dry him off or uh, warm him up by a fire along the way. Oh, that's true. Yeah, like that that heated rock that they give him at one point. Right. Uh, you know, just all extra escort mission fall to roll shit, you know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so they, they've been taking care of him since he was born. They've kind of raised him, the Hota clan, I guess, or... I don't know what the name of this actual clan is. Probably Hoda clan. Lord Hoda's the lord, so. Mm -hmm. So Iba and Gyobu, they're both raring to get in a fight right away. Oh, man. Like, yeah, this scene was so intense. They were just staring at each other and everyone else is just talking off screen and they're saying important stuff. And Mm. it's coming up in the subtitles and I can't pay any attention to it because these guys are looking at each other. And, like, they keep moving towards their swords and starting to pull them just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit. <laughs> and Abe's basically like, yeah, no, you can absolutely, definitely trust the child with me. <gasps> Don't kill that child right <laughs> Stop now, it! Sonny. Hey, knock it off! <laughs> you guys! Not right <laughs> now. Ooh. So as I was saying, you can trust me with this child, and Sonny Chiba's definitely not going to kill him the moment you guys are gone. Yeah, it's like, look, we, he needs to be taken to Edo Castle. It's his coming-of-age ceremony, that's all. Shogun's orders, man. Our hands are tied. Five days. You've got five days. Uh, that's it. What <laughs> happens if they don't get there in time? Uh, I don't know. I, I guess they just have to get there in time. Oh, Maybe <laughs> Shogun's he orders. Be, I, I think the idea is he would just be declared dead or just considered ineligible, because that's one of the... Th- the options they float later on is like, why don't we just go into hiding with the kid? Who cares? He can just grow up a regular person. Yeah, that's true. Well, you know, it does seem like kind of just the random arbitrary deadline that this crazy Shogun would put in anyways. Right. And also level time limit. This does have a real video gamey flair to it. Like it is a whole escort mission game. It's true. And video games have been out when this movie came out. Oh, absolutely. Although maybe not quite to this degree, because this is only nope. 89. But hey, we do also have some visual K in the soundtrack, which rocks. <laughs> and I do want more of it. I wish there were more of it. You know, there's this there's this uh, 20-year window in history where a samurai, where all these things <laughs> existed at the same time, where a samurai could send a fax uh, through a to fax Lincoln. machine to Abraham Lincoln about the lyrics for the latest Malice Miser song. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's obvious right away. Like, well, they they know. Yeah, those guys leave and they're like, they're obviously going to try to kill a kid on the way. They tried to kill him right now. Yeah, there's going to be so many bad guys on the way to kill him. What's the point? Why why don't we just wait until we can get some reinforcements? Like, well, we've only got five days. (laughs) Shogun's orders. Shogun's orders. Our hands are tied. Yeah. Uh, so out in the garden, Abe's talking to Gilbert because they have a whole crazy past that we're not going to hear about for quite some time. They're or past. no, no, we hear about right away. That's we right. hear about it right away. Yeah. Because yeah. Gilbert isn't having it because of their past, basically. Because he's like, why don't, why don't I just buy you off? We'll give you some money and you just walk away from this. We'll purchase your samurai services. 
Yeah, Gilby's like, uh, no, I actually hate your guts. Um, yeah, no, I hate you. <laughs> Excuse me. And and Abe's like, look, I know you have justifiable reasons for hating me, and it's cool. I did a bad thing, but I'm the minister, man. Yeah, come on, I have lots of rank, and he's like, yeah, I know about your rank. You got your rank for the reason that I hate you, you dick. Because uh, <laughs> they were childhood friends They grew up together and they were besties And then the Shogun decided that he wanted Gyobu's wife Who happens to be Abe's sister Which is also messed up Then Abe was like, yeah, alright <laughs> I'll take care of it Yeah, I'll uh, break up my sister and her husband And sell her to you Break up my power. sister? Yeah, break up my sister and my best friend and give you my sister as a concubine. It's like, okay, cool. I'll give you a promotion, dude. You'll get to work closer with me. Wasn't that great? (laughs) (laughs) Uh... He really regrets his decisions by the end of the movie, though. To be fair, it just took him way too long. Oh, yeah. He he took too long to have his are we the baddies moment (laughs) way too long absurdly long it's the end of the movie after he's already been spending the whole movie trying to kill a child (laughs) (laughs) to be fair (laughs) Mm -hmm. so this is our first uh glimpse of the shogun they we cut to edo castle and he's really sick he looks like a like a ghost or a zombie He's got really goofy makeup. It's a little overdone, but it's funny. Uh, But the sickness hasn't uh, impacted his ability to scream. Oh, no, it's he's the best at screaming. I think it's really all he's good at. He is the screamingest shogun that's ever screamed. He wants some sake. He wants some sake. (laughs) (laughs) I love like the little detail about how in his room there's just all these uh overturned like bowls of sake like yeah. empty sake bowls on the floor yeah it's it's just a mess he's just been drinking and nothing else and he's too sick to drink anymore they're like we can't give you any sake it will kill you <laughs> it's like i want it though well our hands are tied uh yeah uh doctor's orders outranks the shogun well uh, it's this the yeah, yeah i don't know yeah, about yeah. that <laughs> uh so then we have our spear attack on hota's place oh yeah so yeah this is where uh we've gone 20 minutes now without a massacre so sunny chiba's like i'm gonna kill all these guys before they even leave yeah forget it you know uh we we couldn't buy them out so let's just kill everybody uh and He's just slashing through doors on the way through. Like, he knows people are behind those doors, and he just slashes in and gets them before they even come out. Yep, he's got, like, his sleeves rolled up. He's here to he's here to murder. Yeah. Uh, and Hota is the only one who stands his ground, Lord Hota. Uh, and he has a duel with uh, Iba. Which he loses. Well, of course. Uh, I- Iba's the main baddie for... All intents and purposes, you know, other than, I mean, the Shogun isn't really a main baddie. <laughs> There's one point where Gyobu asks the little kid, he's like, are you ready to fight the Shogun? And I'm just thinking, is this guy gonna, <laughs> actually, he might win. He could win. This you give him a knife, he could do it. Yeah. Uh, I but that's where it was gonna go. <laughs> he's gonna have to personally knife the Shogun. That would have been fun. 
I, it would have redeemed him a bit in my eyes, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Ibu kills uh, uh, Hota. Uh, but of course, Takichio has already left under care of uh, uh, what's his name and uh, all of his dudes who don't have names. Yobu and his men. Yobu and his merry men. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's night and it's rainy. It's a really good way to sneak away. Yeah, it works. It works. And their plan is they're going to steal some horses from the Ashio mine and then just make a run for Edo as fast as they can ahead of the army that they know is out to get them. I, it just seems so... <laughs> I know that it's because they have orders and they don't have a choice, but should it just run away? It's absurd. Just don't go yeah. to the villain base... With the villain MacGuffin. It's totally ridiculous. But And the the kid's also just kind of shitty about everything. <laughs> yeah. He's like, man, I don't want to go to Edo. I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Y'all suck. Yobu makes that little toy for him, the, the spinner. And he just, oh, like, yeah. knocks it out of his hand like an asshole. You dick. Yeah, he made oh, that show that leaves. That that took effort. Yeah, he's really trying. You're you spoiled little shit. And we flash back then to Gyobu receiving the order about his wife. And he's like, deciding he's like, well, I've, I have to kill Abe now. This is my life's work. I am going to kill my former best friend. Let me get some duct tape and some pipes. Yeah. And it's funny that, you know, the kid refusing the toy, he flashes back to this and like, man, I am going through this. Uh, th- this is what, what I'm faced with now. And like, I really wish I'd just killed that guy the other night. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's even what Abe says to Chiba is like, yeah, no, that Gyobu guy would have kicked your ass, which yeah, we find out how that would have gone. Yeah, it, it he uh, he is a great fighter. Yeah, he's, he's they're both real good. So they they get they're getting near the mine and they're all setting out to infiltrate, but the mine sees a bit of smoke because the nurse lit a fire to dry Takichi's clothes or Takichio. Yeah. So so now the mine of course is on high alert. Right, they send out riders. They lock up their own miners. It's like, hey, just until this possible uh, infiltration thing is over. Right. And when they, uh, like, you know, they, they surround Lady Ajima and um, I, I guess it's Masatoshi who's with them, which is Huta's son, who's like oh, the one who guy who's was. not part of the seven. OK, I just I just thought of him as the nobleman guy. OK, so that is Masatoshi. I, I do know his name. Uh, okay. He's. He's, you know, the the guy who's informal gray and is not one of the Ronin. Yeah, yeah. The guy who's all like, oh, no, don't worry, we'll be safe. I'm friends with the three armies of the Shogun. Right. The same Shogun who's trying to kill us all? <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. like, well, these are the ones who are going to work against him. You know, they'll rebel against him and overthrow him if uh, he goes too far. You know, when he finally goes too far, yeah, I'm sure it'll happen. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, it, the uh, the Republican Senate is going to have a real uh, chains of consciousness any day now. Yeah. 
So uh, they're like, we're Lord Yamaguchi, uh, or, or a retainer of Lord Yamaguchi. This is my wife and kid. We're just passing through. Uh, how how dare you arrest us? But of course, you know, the Shogun's orders <laughs> yep. is no one with a child can pass. That's crazy. That That's an insane order, too. We're abducting all children that we see on the road. Every one of them. Yeah. Like, uh, hmm. That's... Hmm. Maybe this Shogun is an extremely bad guy. Uh, obviously, you know, he has to start fighting. They, you know, he, he starts killing them because he knows that they're not going to let them through no matter what. And they get captured. <laughs> you know, there's a whole bunch of these dudes. Oh, yeah. Uh, but one of the dudes, I think this is Genzaburo, has infiltrated the mine. Like, he's the one that starts, uh, he, he, he sets some incense I think so. They they know where to come in the smell. Okay, I was wondering about what the point of the incense was. Because there's a point where you can see them smelling, uh, and I think it's just so they know where to go. Oh, that explains how they found that ridiculous hole that they <laughs> they crumbled. Yeah. Holy shit! Okay, like, that that makes sense now. Yeah, and and everybody is sneaking in various different ways. Uh, they're communicating with each other through bird calls, which is pretty clever. Mm-hmm. I thought that was cool. And yeah, most of them come in through that mine shaft, and I think that's how they're able to find the way, is because they can smell the incense that he planted. Mm-hmm. And he also, like, cut some ropes and stuff to uh, open a path for them, too. Yeah. Uh, the... There, there's that one who comes in through the stream with the bamboo stalk. Oh, yeah, right. And the dude's taking a leak in the stream. And he sees the bamboo stalk and he's just aiming for it. And, you know, so it's moving up and down and he keeps peeing into the, the bamboo thing. And then finally, when he's done, he comes up and, you know, slashes his throat. And after, like, oh, yeah. out all the piss in his mouth. I'm like, okay, movie. <laughs> The, the yep. tone is kind of weird at times. It goes for really goofy humor. Sometimes it's incredibly gruesome. Yeah. Um, I I can't figure... This does this does not have the tone of a Zatoichi movie, or at least not of any of the ones we've covered. It's got some... Like, maybe a little bit more like the remake, right? Maybe. That, that has some of that. But yeah, th- this does have certain gross-out humor in places and just silliness and... Certainly the hair metal was just such a, a <laughs> great surprise and so well done. I thought it was just for the trailer. I didn't think it was going to be in the movie. Oh, it could have used more of it in the movie. Like, I could have used it for maybe all of the samurai battle scenes after that first one. It would have been really great, but it was very satisfying for that one. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's uh, obviously our monkey kung fu guy comes in he he he's doing his pole demo yep uh the whole thing he's like dancing in front of he's just outside the gates just dancing mm-hmm. uh hopping up on the fence balancing everybody's watching yeah he's like, like hey you weird man get down from there <laughs> stop jumping over the fence to our fortress we don't like that yeah and everybody's gathered so he's drawing all the attention that way mm-hmm and, uh, you know, the the team who snuck in through the mineshaft break Takichio out, and they steal some explosives. 
<laughs> and then they blow the whole fucking place up. Just <laughs> like they fucking set the place off uh, just as Eba is showing up. <laughs> uh, you know, it is, it's almost been 20 minutes since the massacre. Right. But we have an Eba and Gyobu duel, which is pretty cool. Our, our, our first. Oh, right. I was going to say, we're not there already. No, no. We, we just have, have a quick little uh, duel. Uh, but then Gyobu and his team escape because they, uh, you know, they run and they jump off the cliff into the water. Oh, right. This is where they're doing that thing, like that cool samurai thing where they're like running in parallel. Yeah. Uh, with their swords out. I love that shit. Yeah, rules. And then, yeah, they all jump off the cliff and it's like, well, we can't follow them. And they, 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 it's later on and they're trying to get the kid to eat some fruit, but he won't. He's, he's a little dick about it. (laughs) I don't like oranges. I like Christmas oranges. There's some berries or another and they're like, come on, they're really good. Just try them. No, no. And he spits in Gyobu's face. I hate this kid. (laughs) (laughs) So Gyobu, though, he just takes the spit out berry and eats it himself. Yeah. Uh, Gyobu, for whatever reason, has decided to uh, just shower this kid with love. He's decided that he will win this kid over. And he's right. He does, because Gyobu is the hero. Of course. Uh, there's that part where they scale the waterfall, which was pretty rad. That was such a cool but series of shots there. Mm-hmm. And then they're in the snowy mountains, which was really cool. And they get to slide down, and it's the first thing the kid likes. Yep, yep, they're sliding down the hill, which isn't... You could have just walked, but the kid's like, yo, let's go again! Yeah, and everyone's like, oh, come on, we're we're in a hurry here. This is... Uh, uh, this is a job. We're literally on the run from an army, but it was like, come on, we we can roll down a hill again. We we can slide down some snow. That's fun. (laughs) Yeah, if we don't have time for one more slide, then we're already cutting it too close. Yeah, what's the point in living if we can't slide in the snow? But exactly. Uh, they, they do that rappelling across the canyon. Some of the effects composited are really bad. <laughs> some of them are really bad, but some of them are seamless. But the bad ones are just real. Bad ones are bad. The bad ones are so bad. They're just like outlined in blue. Like it, it, it's like the old animated spray paint stuff on in, in advertising. Like if if you had like a, a halo of spray paint around something, like don't do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yes. Looks oh like man, that. it's totally that. And like the angles are completely wrong. They look really silly, and you know it's uh, they they first have one of them. I I think it's the the monkey kung fu dude. He's the guy who goes across first. Yeah, yeah. Monkey goes first. And we only get one brief shot of him like that. And it's like, hmm, okay, that didn't look great. But we didn't see a whole lot of that. And, you know, he ties it up on the other end. And, of course, Gobu and Takichio are going together second. And there are some shots where it's the two of them, and it's supposed to be a close-up of them crossing. And it is clearly just him standing on a floor, waving his arms uh as if he's on a thing and like he is clearly stationary <laughs> on a floor and with just like blue spray paint just coursing around both of them 
maybe the worst green screen effect I've ever seen. It's bad. I've seen worse, but it's pretty egregious in this movie because otherwise they're doing pretty crazy stunt effects. And it's just, why did we do this little insert? You know, you could have just shown it from far away and had stunt people. It would have been fine. I mean, they did do shots they like did, that. They did, and they were fine. <laughs> <laughs> what was... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but of course, the, the tree gives way, and Gyobu and Takichi dip into the water. Like, they fall. Uh, a couple of people get their hands shredded, trying to slow the descent. But they get out okay. They get out. They hit the water lightly enough that uh, they're not, you know splattered when they hit the water at that speed and you know they they pull them all the way back up and they can get across it's a it's a pretty fun scene but that that green screen effect is unbelievable it's it, it just it's so noticeable right away because you haven't had anything else like it and you never have anything else like it again in the movie it's just it was a weird choice i guess (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's like they they just ran out of money i guess and they just had this one shot left to do i don't know yeah i don't know uh so yeah uh gyobu and takichio takichio's my butt is cold gyobu so is mine <laughs> <laughs> the next three are starting to cross uh and they're spotted so uh, the you know the, the everybody's getting across, but Yori is the one who stays behind. I caught Yori's name here because he's the one who stays behind to fight them off at first, right, and then he right. does that red arrow Flynn swing all the way across. Oh yeah. <laughs> so Yori's the sort of like both of there's the two guys. One of them's Genzaburo and one's Yori, and they both have a really similar style to them. But one of them's the older dude, and I think Yori's the kind of younger, uh, skinnier guy. Oh, okay. So, right. Genzaburo's not the monkey man. He's the he's someone he's, else. Yeah, no. That yeah, Genzaburo is a different guy. I did not get the monkey guy's name. I don't <laughs> think. So they uh, build a campfire later that night, and Takichio is finally like, "Is it my father trying to kill me?" I'm like, uh, well. Yeah. The thing about that is, yeah. <laughs> the thing about it is, yes. Uh, sorry, kid, <laughs> but yes, it is your dad. Uh, and they're like, uh, the, I think the nurse says it's because he doesn't look like him enough. So, and he also thinks he's incompetent. Yeah, yeah. The nurse, I love the nurse's explanations. Like, yeah, the shogun is just being ridiculous, which is true. I just love that she uses that word. Like his motivation is ridiculous. Yeah, he is completely absurd, but he feels he doesn't look like him. He thinks he's incompetent. And there's this younger son that he likes a whole bunch. Looks more like him. He thinks he's a tough kid. Right. So, you know, just kill your own son before he can overthrow you because that works so good for Saturn. It's always going well. You know, it's it's a classic one that's uh, just always worked with every empire never comes back to bite any in the ass mm-hmm. and this is where they're like hey why don't we just go into hiding you know we, we don't need to he doesn't need to be the fucking next shogun let's just 
retire to public life or retire from public life. But it's like assassins will never stop coming after us. Let's be real. This guy is insane and he is going to send assassin after assassin until he's dead, no matter what. Yeah, he's either going to run out of population to send after the kid or he's going to kill the kid. Yeah. So Gyobo is like, Takichio, you decide. <laughs> do you do you want to go into hiding or do you want to uh, fucking go to war against your father? Yeah, yeah. This is the part where I say, like, do you want to fight your father? Yeah. And I, I, I feel like it might have been a mistranslation and they might have just meant face him. But right. I like the idea of him fighting him. Right. And he does choose to fight. Like, that is his yes. choice. I want to fight. So Genzaburo, Genzaburo is the one who has the grappling hook. He, oh. He, he takes, he takes off, takes a guy off the horse by grappling hooking him and stealing the horse. And then so getting right. the horse to kick the grappling hook further into the dude's chest. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it's just everyone ambushing various soldiers, taking horses, uh, and they start running. Just, you know, once everybody's on a horse, everybody starts running and the fucking metal guitars start up. It's like, oh, shit. This is the first indication that we're going to see anything like that ever an hour into the movie now. Pretty traditional music up to this point. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> run away. Oh, 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 you got to run. And just everyone is riding horses really fast through the forest. Uh, and, and then then fucking all out war to Visual K. It rules. Yep. Yep. It's the whole uh, it's the whole every single person has to give their lives one by one to buy time. Right. So the first one to go is Saheji. Uh, Saheji's the dynamite guy. Oh, yeah. He's. Uh... Oh, but not that dynamite. <laughs> no, he, he's he's the first dynamite guy. Like, he's the guy who just he has a whole bunch of dynamite on him. Yeah, he ends up having to, like, kind of suicide bomb them. Yes, he completely suicide bombs them. Uh, so, like, yeah, they run into a big platoon and. Uh, Saheji's horse's leg gets shot out. They, this movie is not shy <laughs> about killing their horses. Yeah, and some of them I feel like literally killing their horses, or some horses I feel did not walk away from this production. Uh, like didn't not, like obviously they're killing off horses in plot, but I think some of them are not surviving in reality. <laughs> Oh, some of the horses that do, like, the frontward somersaults from the explosions? Oh, man. Yeah, Those... some of them. There's one that, like, takes a dive down a hill, and it lands face-first between two boulders, and it's like, oh, oh. Lord. Uh, but the the horse's legs being shot out, as well as there's another one where someone slashes a horse's leg. Those are, like, insert shots, which are definitely effects shots, at least. Oh, yes. But... We are definitely using tripwires because there are horses doing fucking frontward somersaults. Yep, yep. Uh, but yeah, th that's what happens. His horse's leg gets shot out and he throws dynamite, which breaks a hole in the army that's blocking their way so the others can get through. There's some fucking horses just flipping all over the place in the explosions. This is unreal. I, I've never seen 
that many horses like flip like that. <laughs> it's nuts. Uh, I, I guess, you know, Adventures of Milo and Otis is another film from around this era in Japan. I think there's just not really an equivalent to ASPCA overseeing things in Japan at this point in time. I, I suppose not. <laughs> yeah. So ultimately, yeah, Saheji, they they surround him and he just lights all of his dynamite and suicide bombs them in just huge blast. Yeah, yeah, he you can you can see that explosion from far away. Yeah. And they they get into the next forested area and you know they're going down. So Genzaburu, he's the next one to fall. Uh he he stays behind in the bamboo grove. Oh yeah, he's like chopping down bamboo or is he mm. the one chopping down the bamboo? Yes. Or is, yeah, okay. Yeah, he's got oh, the yeah. bamboo. <laughs> he, he sets up the home alone trap on the road. Yeah, and they, they're all coming for him, but ultimately he gets a fucking spear right in the eye. And then like 20 spears in his uh, torso. Yeah, they, they just spear the shit out of him after that. He is done. There, So the, then there's the part where you know, our monkey kung fu guy and I... It's the other dude whose name I think I don't know. Uh, they clothesline a couple of pursuing horses. Like, for oh, yeah. real, they, they do this stunt. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, they take the rope and, like, hold it tight to make a tripwire. More somersaulting horses. Mm-hmm. I don't think horses are meant to somersault. <laughs> it's not really a natural uh, 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 motion for a horse not not one you see in modern movies typically so it's kind of wild to see it so much here mm-hmm. uh so this is unfortunately where uh our monkey kung fu guy goes down he he does some cool rope spear dancing that fucking you know the the little knife on a rope thing yeah he gets a three section staff at one point mm-hmm like he has probably the longest, most drawn out fight to the death where he is just holding off so many dudes with just weapon after weapon. But it's not enough. It's not enough. He ultimately does get fucking speared through by a bunch of dudes like most of them uh, get. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, the other dude who is with him, he takes someone's horse and he's like riding it backwards while continuing to fight. Oh, this is fishnet guy, right? Yeah. So I think that's. Uh, mm. <laughs> he's the one who blows up the bridge. Right. Yes. Yeah. That that's uh, just coming up. Because uh, he the, so there's the part there's that insert where he slashes a horse's leg because he's riding backwards and uh, just slashing at people as he goes past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that horse, like we see that horse hit the hit dirt head first running and do a fucking headstand straight up and down which again a horse is not supposed to do <laughs> no <laughs> and they didn't have cgi back to that then did they really do this or did they use dummies or they i don't think they used dummies did it no they, these are horses like, holy like, shit I, I i would be able to tell if it was a fake horse <laughs> Yeah, I guess horses are tough to fake. And and this is the part, like, he gets speared and he rolls down the hill and the horse he's on, it, it's like a sandy hill and it comes down right in between two, like, big rocky outcroppings face first, like, just rolling down a hill. It's like, whoa, 
Yeah. That one in particular is like, I do not think that horse survived. No, I saw that. I was like, holy shit. I think that horse is really actually hurt. Yeah, that looked or dead. rough, perilous. And so that guy is lagging behind everyone else. So they, they're able to cross the bridge and he blows it with the dynamite. Yeah, kill, killing himself in the process, of course. Killing himself in the process and dumping uh, the horses and men into the river for real. Yeah, more more horse uh, stunts. Yeah, which is full on real horse stunts. This is like a twenties, thirties classic one. This is st- this is a stunt I've seen in silent films. Oh, like I in the general Buster Keaton's The General. This exact stunt. <laughs> oh, cool. In like you know 1930, it's weird to see it 60 years later. You don't you really get that so often. Not, not so <laughs> much, no. So they get to the next town. The few survivors. I think we're down to the old guy Masatoshi, uh, Yajima. Gyobu and the kid and Genzaburo, I think, or no, no, Genzaburo died in the bamboo thing. I think, yeah, no, I think it's just them now. Yeah, and the the nurse and uh, Hoto's son. Yeah, they're like none of his guys are left other than the old guy, right? Uh, I think so. Okay, yeah, and they're ambushed. Eva's already there in the town. He's already you know, completely taking it over. Yep. So they're, they're holding up in like this freaking oil, an oil shop. store. Yeah. Well, first they get into town and an entire tower drops in their path. It's like, Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. That, that whole thing. <laughs> guess we're not going that way. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I guess Eva has control here and yeah, they barricade themselves in the oil store. <laughs> Which, good spot for them, as it turns out. Really uh, dangerous place to leave open to them. Yeah, you'd think it would be a bad place, uh, because he's even like, hey, we're going to light the oil store on fire if you don't right. come out. Yeah, uh, come out right now. I demand your surrender. Uh, and Gyobu gives Yajima the very important poison dagger in a fan. Oh, I didn't realize it was poisoned. I thought it was just a hidden dagger. He says it's poisoned, that it has a fast-acting poison in it. And he's like, okay, I'm going to go face Eva. I'll challenge him to a duel. We'll do this proper. And what a fucking rad duel. Holy shit, this duel rules. Oh, my God. It's like 10, maybe 15 minutes. It just goes. Um, They're like going up and down buildings. They're on roofs. There's a part where they go through a barn full of chickens. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a part where, like, he busts, like, he jumps straight up out of the floor and, like, like from under the floor. Onto a roof, yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, crashing through walls, out of windows. Sometimes they'll, like, go in the bottom door and then we'll just hear fighting continue. And then they'll come <laughs> out an upper window and come go flying crazy. It's it's so, so awesome. <laughs> You're almost expecting, like, the Scooby-Doo thing where they're, like, running across all the different doors. Yeah. They they somehow end up on the tallest roof in the the whole whole town, and they roll off slash through it. (laughs) Like, they start rolling down, and then it just caves in, and they both go into it. Yep. And, And the whole time, all the soldiers are like, oh, I guess we have to just watch. We could just take some gunshots and win this right now for the Shogun, but 
no, no. Orders are Honor. orders. They, well, this is samurai. Or this is they're all samurai. They go by these rules. Yeah, no, that's this is a very samurai thing. Yeah. So ultimately, Yobu's sword does break, and he gets a, he gets slashed. So he is pretty badly wounded, but he is he has this fucking metal ball on chain. <laughs> that, that he has just waiting in surprise and he gets Eber right in the fucking forehead with it. Yep. And then he uh, gets him in the chest with his half sword. Runs him straight through. Uh, and he's like, fuck yeah, dude. That was metal <laughs> as fuck. Yeah, that was splendid. Magnificent. <laughs> Drops dead. <laughs> like, this is all he was looking for. Very much like a Zatoichi opponent. Yeah, actually. One great fight. Yep. And holy shit, he, he, he got a better fight than most Zatoichi opponents do. Incredible fight. Oh, man. It is unbelievable, this fight. Um, pretty much we're done fighting now. Yeah, this is kind of the end of the action. It's, it's weird because we've got like another half hour left-ish, but it just, it's all sort of just denouement from here in a weird sort of way, even though... This battle isn't done, and they haven't gotten away yet, because there's still this fucking army. Yeah, yeah. Because the army then does attack. <laughs> like, well, that guy's done. He lost. We're Now it's our turn. Yeah, But of course, so, our guys have been working in the meantime. They've been preparing. <laughs> oh, I love the, like, the whole Gyobu freeze frame. We don't, we're not there quite yet, oh. because first, they light up the oil. Oh, they've, yes. They've been preparing the oil into the water around the building as a moat. <laughs> uh, and though they still have one other guy because he does some fire breathing and stays behind in the burning building. Right. When right. everybody else rides out through the walls on the horses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, th- then there's the second in command guy, the oldest dude. And this is amazing. Ooh, ooh, this is the best explosion. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he lights himself and his horse on fire and charges into the enemy. And like he's got he's got a big bucket of oil and he's like pouring it on himself and he lights it and just charging on fire into the middle of them. The horse explodes! Fucking horse explodes. The horse detonates. There is a giant explosion. Uh, just people running around on fire all over the place. The whole town goes up. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, they're, everyone's just outside of town. Gyobu falls because, you know, he got badly hurt in that fight. Oh, yes. And he throws Takichio his headband. And, right, uh, he has to give him the headband of passing the torch. Yeah, you, remember me. Uh, yeah. Honor me by being a better shogun than this one. You'd Hopefully. have to try to be worse. <laughs> you would really have to. Uh, but yeah, Takichio, the nurse, and uh, Masatoshi escape. So the whole seven samurai are down, uh, and we have that that great part the the whole army shows up behind him and Gyobu turns to face them yep and, and we freeze got, like, frame freeze frame <laughs> goes to black and white and it's like sir you've always been fighting the samurai army yeah i mean he probably has that's kind of what he's been doing that's his job that's true 
Uh, but yeah, it's weird. Uh, it, it's just, we don't see that fight and we never see that fight. They didn't shoot that fight. <laughs> no, no, we just, we just know that Gilbo's dead now. Yeah. So back in Edo, in, in Edo Castle, Abe goes to see the Shogun privately. Uh, <laughs> well, as private as you can see the Shogun with all his screaming. <laughs> well, he, he does send away all of his harem except for Oman who is Abe's sister uh, slash Gyobu's uh, former wife. And the Shogun's current it's her, wife, it's his favorite. I guess. Yeah. She's his favorite. And they're like, okay, Takichio has shown up, and he is safe and sound. <laughs> the Shogun's <laughs> like, I, I just wanted you to kill one child. <laughs> Screaming, screeching. Like and up is like he's, he's like a fucking now. nostalgia critic. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I just wanted to make one crappy video about Pink Floyd's The Wall. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, fuck! He's just chewing him out, and he's like, "Fine, Oman, it's your job now. You take care of Takichio." And she's like, excuse me, what the fuck? Like, and Abby's like, look, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> really, I, I feel like we're at the point where you shouldn't do this anymore. And uh, the Shogun's basically like, yeah, that sounds like something a star scream or a worm tongue would say. <laughs> and Abby's like, okay, please understand. There's there's this other family, Kishu. They have a lot of power. They have four other families behind him. They're going to overthrow the government if you kill your own son. It's too public now. And beyond that, this is going to betray the samurai code. If it's out there in the news for everyone that you killed your son when he was home and defenseless in front of you, they're going to all rise up against you. There's 400,000 ronin out there. Do you want that? I don't care. Yeah, it's like, Starscream, you failed me for the last time. <laughs> I, I'm not even trying to overthrow you, buddy. <laughs> I just want to not die. It's like, please don't bring the apocalypse down on us. And he's like, no, no, I've made my point. And Oman leaves to prepare her green poison tea to take to Takichio. Yeah. And... She she has this little teens like your father made it for you specially. Uh, and Yajima's like, don't fucking drink that. Oh, my <laughs> God. You know that he would definitely try to kill you. Uh, and obviously he won't drink it. And yeah, most importantly, Oman sees the fan knife and recognizes it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Recognize it as uh, Kyobu's. Right. It's like, where did you get that? It's like I got it from the men who helped bring him, who sacrificed his life to uh, bring this kid to safety. It's like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that guy I really, really loved, actually, before hmm. I went into this whole business. Yeah, I don't like that. And she goes back to the Shogun. Uh, and Abe is there still. He's like, man, I regret ever joining up with you <laughs> oh my god you are so corrupt <laughs> he's he actually leaves in tears he's worked himself up so much he's like i can't believe i've spent all this time following you and you're an insane asshole my political career is 
over. Like, how did I not realize? I can't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be starting people chanting, hey, hang Minister Abe next. (laughs) And Takichio shows up with Yajima. And they're like, hey, here's your son. Do you want to kill him now, personally, right in front of you? (laughs) And he's like, I won't take this impertinence. I am going to kill you. Like, first, the nurse is like, Takichio, I, I, please just beg for your life from the Shogun. And Takichio's like, no, <laughs> screw you. <laughs> this guy sucks. I'm not begging for shit. Yeah, fuck this guy. Come on, you can agree with that. And it's like, I can agree with that. And of course, the Shogun pulls a sword. <laughs> He's like, all right, I will kill the kid. <laughs> uh, do you not realize that I will go all the way? <laughs> I really I am wanted a sword fight between the sickly dying shogun and the small child. I wanted this so badly. The the supposedly weak and competent child. It would have been so great if he was the one who had the fan and then like knifed the shogun as he was coming in with the sword. <laughs> but of course it is Yajima. She gets in between, she gets slashed and uh-huh. is killed, but not before she kills him with the poison blade as well. Yeah. <laughs> and lying on the floor, an asshole to the very end, he starts bitching to Oman about how he gave her everything uh, he felt a woman could want. <laughs> <laughs> and Oman's basically like, you gave me literally nothing ever. You didn't give me anything I wanted, okay? And she curses his name. Uh, and says, suffer more before you go to hell. <laughs> uh, and she reclaims the knife. She laughs hysterically at his dead body. <laughs> I love this bit because then Abe goes out. Uh, yeah, he goes out like, listen, everyone, the Shogun died suddenly of an illness. <laughs> of an illness. Definitely definitely an illness. Pay no attention to the cackling woman with the bloody knife. Yeah, it's like she suddenly died of an illness. Uh, you know, you all knew he was sick. You saw him drinking way too much sake. It was bound to happen sooner or later. Uh, let's never speak of it again. He's dead. It's okay. Everybody's going to be much happier with him dead. <laughs> and everyone's just kind of like, yeah, okay, I, I can buy this. Yeah, all right, sure. Yeah. And Takichio goes to the funeral. And... This is sort of the only cool thing he does. I feel that this is sort of the one moment that sort of suggests maybe he will be, if not necessarily a better Shogun, one who rules differently. Because <laughs> <laughs> he he literally throws dirt on his name. Uh, uh, it's his father's ceremonial tablet where like that everyone's praying to for the funeral, and he just picks up a handful of ash and throws it at it. <laughs> yeah. And that's when the credits roll uh, over his memories, I guess, of uh, all of the heroic bloodshed that we've seen. And again, we get another visual K song showing a montage of all the crazy shit we've seen. Lots of horse explosions right again. We we do get the horse explosion a second time, which was. Oh, yes. I was glad to see it. (laughs) Yeah. uh, What a crazy movie. It's weird. It's got a strange flavor to it. Just how the the horse stunts are a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the fights are great. Uh, the fight frequency 
how there's a huge fight every like 15 or 20 minutes until the end. Yeah, pretty excellent. And it's you have enough to get get uh, to carry you through to the end when you know you're going to see uh, like the Shogun has to get knifed and it's going to be glorious. So you're just like, OK, I can't wait to see him die and everybody be happy about him dead. <laughs> we got way too much of the screaming Shogun on screen, though. I completely agree. We did not need much of him. There is so little to him. He is just a shrieking idiot and he's totally insane. It's I I guess it sort of serves the political point of the movie where all of these people are like, wow, we thought he'd get better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we we, he might be insane, but he's still the boss. We still got to do our jobs. Yeah, because just Abe, especially where. He's crying at the end. He is in tears. I'm like, I can't believe you, you've, uh, you, you've been this much of an asshole all this time. I knew it, but I didn't know it. I, I don't know why it didn't click before. You know, when, when you demanded that I sell you my sister, I, I, I should have realized that. you were a dick. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll go that far. I will sacrifice my personal integrity, but you're going to be a better person eventually, you know, it's for love. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> sure, right. I think uh, Abe kills himself. Uh, we don't see it, but he's like got like the white robes. He's in a room yeah. and he's got a knife. I believe he is supposed to, it says he commits Harakiri. Although there's like, there, they say something about a, uh, like there's a, a text scroll. And I think, Abe takes the Shogun's place until Takichio is of age and then commits Harakiri. Oh, interesting. That's not how the movie made it look. No, exactly. Because there is the text and it says that, and I think it it mentions specifically Abe took the place for this period of interstitial time until Takichio was of age and uh, took over as the next Shogun. Uh, Unless it was someone else that they mentioned there, but I thought it said Abe. Yeah, I mean, there's no one else. There isn't anyone else, really. Right, yeah. So it's weird, but it it does seem to be... (laughs) He just held back. It's like, I'll soldier through until I can kill myself, but I really can't (laughs) wait to kill myself. All this power of being the temporary shogun is not enough to make me not want to kill myself. No, not for a moment. I'll never forget how much I... Uh, totally blew it by supporting this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think of that? Because that's that's sort of the, the question I had that I mentioned earlier, that it just says that uh, Takichio became the, the, the next shogunate. But it doesn't really say anything about him ruling better. <laughs> it doesn't mention anything about him being a more benevolent ruler. Well, I mean... You know, maybe maybe he doesn't scream as much. Uh, one would hope. May, one would hope. <laughs> Although, uh, getting the getting the shogun to eat his berries is a task and a half. <laughs> eat his berries, uh, uh, and you know he's he, he just always be like, "What were they thinking?" <laughs> uh, yeah. Because, I, I, yeah, I, I really don't know. It, it doesn't really suggest that he is necessarily better. I, I guess from his experience with working class Ronin uh, and the admiration he has for Gyobu versus 
the distaste he has for his father presumably would maybe move him down a better path you would hope i would hope i mean i think that's sort of the idea of the movie in terms of his arc but we don't see it like the kid is okay the kid is not like a a tremendous actor or anything no he (laughs) no he's not really the best he's not expressive (laughs) no he's uh he has one expression and it's sullen and annoyed and he doesn't want to be there because he is a a genuinely really little kid Mm -hmm. so yeah i don't know i i don't get a lot of uh closure at the end in that regard it's like well we saved this kid (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and then he don't know how the country's doing yeah, the, we, we saved this kid, and now he gets to rule the country for some reason. Uh, that's probably good, right? Because he's yeah. going to be saved. He's oh, yeah. supposed to be the one. He's the next one in the bloodline. Bloodlines are important. <laughs> I mean, sure, we had one little hiccup with when the last one in the bloodline was a screaming idiot. But, you know, they're not all going to be like that. Yeah, this one went through some stuff. He seems like maybe he'll be better. He doesn't like that guy who screamed all the time. Neither did we. Uh, we already have something in common. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm really not sure about that. But overall, I did really enjoy the movie, certainly. It's a lot of fun. Oh, it's it's crazy fun. <laughs> it's the, a total I, blast. I still remember like how blown away I was when the hair metal came on. <gasps> I was like, that's awesome. part of the movie? yes i was like for me literally i said finally (laughs) because like you i had watched the trailer before and was like oh that's rad i kind of dig that and then when it finally happens like oh why weren't they doing this before this is so great (laughs) uh tremendous yeah uh all for more metal in samurai movies because just people slashing people with swords and blowing up horses with dynamite (laughs) to you know heavy metal guitar is pretty rad Yep. <laughs> uh, but yeah, pretty good. Uh, I don't ultimately know exactly what was accomplished or what we're supposed to see was accomplished. I do feel like it's maybe like a Siege of Firebase, Firebase Gloria that we talked about last week, where it's just, let's just throw a whole bunch of crazy exploitation action at the screen and then frame it in this legitimate historical context. I wouldn't be surprised if it was exactly that. I think it is that. And certainly the rest of the things in the Chiba set do follow that pattern of being very exploitation cinema. So that does tie (laughs) them together a bit. But the other ones, he is the main character. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. He he's all he's barely in this one. It's a small role. It's a key role. He is one of the main villains and arguably the only real fighting villain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's just not a lot for him to do in the movie. Uh, So, this is a box set, of course. So, uh, I I think the next one in the set is Samurai Reincarnation. Um, I think it's it's something like that. Yeah, I don't have it in front of me right now. Uh, It is a film by uh, uh, Fukasaku. and let me just see if I can pull up some information on it, because we need to decide uh, if that goes next. Or uh, the one below that is one that was previously in there, which is Lone Wolf and Cub. That set right. the first one of those. So the, Samurai Reincarnation 
is a Kinji Fukasaku film. Okay. It's another samurai one, of course, but this one's more of a crazy wuxia. Uh, I've seen a bunch of Fukasaku. I'm a big fan. He does really crazy kinetic exploitation stuff. He's one of the originators. Like, he started in the 60s doing uh, really weird sci-fi, like The Green Slime, Oh, which is a fun one. Uh, this is the... Uh, on the box, you you see Chiba with the eye patch and the black, all black cloak and the top knot. That's him in this one. Oh, cool! All right. So this one, a samurai denounces God and sells his soul to Satan so that he can get the power to resurrect the dead and join him in a murderous rampage. Fuck yes! <laughs> that sounds fucking incredible. Uh, Kinji Fukasaku rules. He also did the uh, Battles Without Honor and Humanity uh, series, which is uh, extremely important. So yeah, that sounds... So we're going to go with that one over Lone Wolf and Cub, I suspect. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get, get to Lone Wolf and Cub. There's only two movies left in this set. Oh, cool. Uh, all right. Do you have any further thoughts before we move on to part two? One more sake. <laughs> what was captain planet thinking <laughs> <laughs> and we are back for part two where we're talking about the slasher classic arguably the first slasher usually described as the first slasher uh 1974's black christmas directed by bob clark another canadian film i was wondering about that this feels very canadian uh, from the same year as Deranged, you got a few, uh, at least two people in the cast overlapping. Oh. Uh, well, I'll, I'll point them out as we get to them. Uh, one of them I'm sure you recognized. <laughs> All right. Uh, cool. So, yeah. Uh, um, overall, thoughts. This yeah, is a fucking so great movie, right? It, it's really good. Uh, it has a great ending. Kind of, Kind of reminds me of, like, Halloween, but on Christmas. Yeah, and earlier they they did it first. Uh, they, it 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 really feels like Halloween copied a lot from this and refined it. You know, it mm-hmm. does refine the formula. Oh yeah, for sure. This has a lot of it has some fluff. It's fluff that I don't mind because it's all entertaining, but it does have fluff that's got nothing to do with the story. I kind of like it though. I think it's great. It's it's very character driven. Uh, it's it's got that early seventies feel where you're spending a lot of time with the characters and you're really getting to know all of them. They're not annoying the way slasher characters would come to be in the eighties. You know that that's sort of often cited as the point where a slasher franchise becomes bad is where you're rooting for the bad guy. You know you, you shouldn't be rooting for the slasher. You should be rooting for the people who are trying to escape him. Yeah, um, it's hard to root for the slasher in this one. Right, because he's very uh, ambiguous. He's sort of in the background. Uh, Spoilers, we never do find out who he is. Yeah, it's not the guy who everyone thinks it is and who uh, sets himself up to be that. Uh, Care Delea, uh, our our boyfriend Red Herring, uh, who's Dave in 2001, of course. And who in this film looks exactly like the killer from Inspector Ike. Like, yeah. I cannot get over how much he looks exactly like that guy. It could very well be that they are intentionally copying his style. Because he does have a real 70s style 
and you know it's it is 1974 and it's inspector ike is retro 70s for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or or this could just be what a lot of people looked like back then i don't know well of course i mean the the thing though is you know inspector ike is made in 2018 right so yeah <laughs> yeah so, so we start out uh our movie most almost entirely takes place in a sorority house um commonplace I, for a slasher movie oh uh or real slashers. Well, yeah, that happened yet. I don't think the Ted Bundy sorority house thing had happened quite yet. I think that's later in the seventies. Yeah. I was, I was just thinking that this might've come first. It may very well have, I'll, I'll look it up, but, uh, uh, I mean, that, that is sort of the main thing is slasher movies. Uh, I mean, it's just, sort of the natural place for a slasher movie to take place because you have college age kids so you can have mm-hmm. nudity and uh it's it sort of uh they're they're going to be attractive young people who you can easily get a bunch of for cheap because they don't need to be stars they just need to <laughs> be willing to show their breasts you know it this is sort of how it works <laughs> So the uh, the Bundy murders took place. Th- those were in '78. So yeah, this is after. Uh, they, uh, yeah, like, his, wow. his murders took place after this sorority house massacre. Huh. And oh yeah, another thing about slashers is usually you get the villain's monologue about why they did it and all that at the end. We never figure out why he's killing all these people, and there's all these hints, but it's not enough to piece anything together. Well, I guess that's, yeah, well, that's the other thing is that because we never catch him. We we don't know who he is yeah. at the end. Uh, it, it's also a matter of this movie is kind of slyly a critique of the police, which is very common in Canadian films of the 70s. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the 70s Canadian filmmakers definitely had an antagonistic relationship with police most of the time, which is interesting. But uh, in in this one. It seems to be a chief theme because ultimately we never know because the police were just not capable of solving the case. They did not have the tools with which to do it. Yeah, they're like, well, uh, the man in the east uh, went into the jet engine, so I guess we're done now. Yeah, well, it, it's totally a thing where they're able to use some detective work. They, We have one guy who's really bad, who's completely incompetent. Uh, are are yep. really shitty cop. <laughs> I think that's Sergeant yeah. Nash. Sergeant Nash with his uh, he he's basically the personification of that uh, Wiggum joke where he's like, I'm just gonna type it on my invisible typewriter. Yeah, he's extremely dumb and he just doesn't like he he doesn't even get when he's being put on at all. Uh, and of course we have John Saxon as the pretty good detective who knows how to do his job as a detective on a regular case. Uh, yeah, he, but, uh, <laughs> he's going to do his best and he is not like a bad cop or anything. He just he does not have the ability to uh, do this kind of case where the person has no real motive. They have no connection to anyone. They're just uh-huh. an insane person who's doing this because they get kicks for it. Yeah, I, I can't even determine if they get kicks for it or if I can't determine anything. That's the cool thing. Yeah, I mean, it just it it seems to be entirely internal. Uh, yeah. wh- whatever is driving Billy is just I don't know. 
<laughs> it's it's yeah. something only Billy knows about. It has nothing to do with any of the people he's killing. No, not nothing at all. Because um, he he's talking about Agnes and don't tell anyone what we did. Well, did something because we don't know. Yeah, and uh, no one knows because yeah, he he's just uh, this insane person who is a hider in the house. Yeah, one of those oof like. I hear about these stories about people like living in the ho- crawl spaces of other people's houses and then mm-hmm. coming out at night. Happens and, sometimes. Yeah, and and this this is kind of that. Although we I mean that's see... Parasite too, right? Oh, that is that is absolutely Parasite. Uh, there's a movie in the '80s called Hider in the House where Gary Busey is the guy hiding in the house. I don't know how you would <laughs> not hear Gary Busey. I've made this joke before, but that. I, we we got to watch that movie sometime because it, it always amazes me. Gary Busey as Hyder in the house. What's next? Gilbert Gottfried? <laughs> or a Shogun from the first movie? <laughs> I'm the nostalgia Shogun. I murder it so you don't have to. Is there something in the crawl space? Eh, just a mouse. Just a... Sagai! Sagai! <laughs> Uh, we we actually open with our killer, uh, Billy, I guess, maybe. Uh, we open with him. Uh, I don't know if he's stumbled onto the house or if he's always had his eye on this house. Again, we know nothing about this guy. Yeah, he uh, just even climbs the the in there. Yeah, he just climbs in. Uh, it's really cool because it's all shot in like first person uh first person mode where we're seeing through Billy's eyes as he climbs uh this uh lattice thing to get up into the attic yeah so there and there's a christmas party going on yeah at the sorority house uh there's a whole thing going on so one of the things that i think is important and notable it that doesn't that we don't know yet but it's mentioned later on he calls after he kills right so that's something oh man yeah they mentioned that at the end and i meant to keep track try to keep track of that on my second watch through and i totally didn't so i'm going to be sort of trying to keep track of that in real time now as i go through it well that's Uh, that's the the important point being that the first thing he does when he gets in the house is call so do you think he has just finished killing someone somewhere else do you think it's the little girl that they find later i was I was wondering about that, if it was the little girl or if the little girl was just some random different murder happening. I think that he did it before he came here. And that's now he's calling because that was the the kill that he did there. Now it's the first call after the first kill. Although <clears throat> uh, the girls act like this isn't the first call. True. Uh, the boner again. Yeah. Although... It's yeah. I I don't know how long he's been doing this because obviously now is the first time he's probably calling from inside the house, but it, it does seem that he calls every time he's killed. So I think he has killed someone before, and this would probably be the only logical time that he would have killed the the high school girl Janice. Uh, yeah, because he's in the house from this point forward. Yeah, I don't think he leaves the house after getting in. Yeah. Um, Peter does, which means Peter could have killed Janice, but Peter didn't kill Janice. No, I think Peter is unstable and dangerous to himself, but I, I, I mean, really what puts the the blame on him is that 
Billy seems to be a mimic. He's picking up what other people are saying and then echoing it back. He parrots things. So mm-hmm. that's sort of the, the problem with trying to psychoanalyze the things that Billy says is that he's clearly echoing things he's hearing other people say. So they don't necessarily apply to anything that's actually happened to him ever. Yeah, the the prank phone calls actually sound like recordings from a, like a, a movie or a TV show. They don't sound like a person. Well, they, they do often seem to be overlapping voices. It sounds like there's a bunch of people, although we see physically that there cannot be. Because we see his end of the line at times, but we just sort of see him talking in the room and there just being him in the bodies. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking of is because this is a sorority in a college, <laughs> they might have multiple different people prank calling him because the first one just right. kind of seems like teenagers laughing yeah and and that's what i i kind of got the impression of when they say the moaner that they have had uh this other caller who just moans and stuff this one seems to be maybe more extreme although the the switch to i'm going to kill you does seem to be actually billy right? oh yeah right of course it would have that would be billy probably yeah. because uh yeah everybody's gathered around listening to this prank phone call and they're just listening all horrified and all that stuff and Barb, right, really really cool shot of just everyone reacting to it uh it, it's it, it's a shot that sort of like recognizes the impact of this call on all of these people you know it it is all of these girls who live in this sorority house who are receiving these unpleasant and insane obscene calls and we see them all just like man this is what i have to fucking live with and it just shows all of their faces reacting it takes its time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but after after a while of this going on uh barb margo kidder yep i i thought she was the leader of the girls at first but i don't really I haven't really figured out the social hierarchy of this group, and it doesn't really matter because they're going to die pretty quick. Well, and this isn't really a social hierarchy thing because it's a Canadian movie, and we don't really do that. Uh, This is a – although we also don't really do the sorority house thing. It's not ever explicitly stated as being in Canada. I think they sort of vaguely allude to being somewhere, but I I don't know. Uh, Somebody does mention Scarborough. Yeah, which is Ontario. So yeah. that that makes sense that it would be Ontario. But yeah, we don't really do the whole sorority house thing. I mean, there are uh, that a, a little bit of that, but that's just not really much of the culture here. Mm-hmm. So Barb takes the phone after listening to this for, for ages and starts and, telling off the guy. And she's drunk. She, and she frequently is. Barb is never not drunk. Um, she is always drunk or drinking. Drunk or yes, <laughs> drunk or drinking, often both. Yeah. So like uh, the so this is Margot Kidder, and yeah, her character is just obviously an alcoholic, like a problem drinker, and it's sort of in the background, but it is always there. Yes. Um, like you'll see shots of her in the background feeding booze to small children while other people mm-hmm. are on the phone in the foreground at the christmas party yeah. at the christmas party yeah but yeah barb is unfazed by this guy um, yeah she tells she starts, him off yeah and he's like i'm going to kill you well it's it's really actually matter of fact you know he, he's been going on and on and then she finally starts yelling and he, he just stops dead and it's like i'm going to kill you 
and then the phone hangs up. Yeah. So so yeah, let's let's meet our let's meet our characters. We've got right. Barb, of course, played by Margot Kidder, uh, the drunk lady. Certainly the most famous uh, actress in the group. Although we also have Andrea Martin, uh, who's a big SCTV actress. Uh, who is she? She's Phil. With the, oh, okay. The the fun hair. Yeah, <laughs> Phil. Phil kind of reminds. She kind of reminds me of a Velma, but she doesn't really <laughs> do anything. She's just. She's just kind of there. Uh, yeah, she gets Phil. killed. Short for Phyllis. Everybody gets killed. Nobody gets out of this. Spoilers. Uh, but there, no one gets out. Jess no. could get out. I, I disagree. <laughs> well, the credits... Uh, <laughs> oh. The ringing phone during oh, the credits. We'll get to it. Shit, yeah, we will. Because <laughs> uh, I was going to say, Jess like, might yes. survive until the end of the credits, it's but not why much I after. Brought up yeah, that, that's why I brought up uh, the he calls after he kills. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we have uh, Jess, who is the final girl, but maybe not really. Played by Olivia Hussey, who I think was uh, Juliet in the famous Romeo and Juliet from the 60s. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. We have Jess's boyfriend, Peter, who sucks. Uh, yeah, Care Delea, Dave from 2001, and he is a music student, and he's extremely fucking temperamental. <laughs> he like he's he's got his piano concertos, and they're very angry, and he just plays them with so much intensity, and people don't <laughs> like it very much. <laughs> no, uh, everything about this guy reminds me of the killer from Inspector Ike. Yeah. Uh, his voice is different, but everything about the way he acts is identical. I'm sh- I'm almost positive it's based on him. It could totally be. And he's such a red herring. Whereas, obviously, in the other one, he just is the bad guy. And here, you're just, like, supposed to think he's the bad guy because he so acts like he is guilty all the time. And he's doing bizarre stuff. He's like, going into that... the shadows around the sorority house. And and there is a point where he is in the house and comes from upstairs when no one was there, I was like, what were you doing upstairs, dude? And we don't know. Oh, no, he was taking a nap in Jess's room, apparently. <laughs> Just happened to be doing it while Jess was uh, dealing with a prank phone call, but you know. But he is a weirdo. Like, it, it is very clear that he is a temperamental weirdo. He has, you know, he, he's a music guy and he just is not handling the stress well of being in college. He uh, can't do art for uh, bureaucracy. <laughs> like <laughs> he, he has to play his piano and he has to do it his way. And just being evaluated clearly is something that he cannot handle in any way. Yeah, but at the same time, he 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 can't he can't handle being evaluated, but he can't handle not being the center of attention. No, he is a real main character dude. These days, he would be big on TikTok. Oh, my God. <laughs> he, oh, oh, uh, very important. An anti-abortion nut. That, too, yeah. And, th- and that also kind of figures into what ties him into Billy and why he seems to be the guy, because Billy echoes something he says. Yes, uh, that, and if he, and Billy's story kind <clears throat> of hints that it might have something to do with Someone getting rid of a baby at some point, maybe. Which, 
again, it may just be him drawing connections between other things he's heard in previous houses he's been hiding in, maybe. Yeah, it could be. Um, or it could be something he saw on TV. This could all be shit he saw on TV, for all we know. Yeah. So we have Phil, the friend. She's she's cool. I like her. She doesn't like do Phil. much, but she's she's like a Velma type, kind of. She's Andrea Martin. Andrea Martin's great. <laughs> she's a, uh, a great Canadian comedic actress. She's in so much stuff. Cool. Uh, we have Claire, who is the first victim, and she's supposed to be like a goody-goody, but she's she dies. She's a virgin. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, as, <laughs> as Margot says, she is a professional virgin. Yep, which uh, is interesting because usually that's who the last girl is, is the virgin. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and and this is the very first one, but this is that, not really the one that established the tropes. No, that trope didn't exist yet. Yeah. Mrs. Mac fucking rules. Mrs. Mac. So Mrs. Mac is one of our people from uh, Deranged. Oh, she would have been, she would have been the seance lady, yeah? She is indeed, yeah. She is the first victim there. <laughs> uh, second victim here. Sadly, yeah. I wanted her to last a lot longer. <laughs> Drunk Mrs. Mac. She she has uh, bottles of sherry hidden everywhere. I, I think her whole idea is, I won't rat on the girls' drinking problem, and they won't rat on my drinking problem. Absolutely, she is just drinking all over the place, and they know it. And they're like, "Yeah, it's fine." She doesn't need to hide it, but she does hide it. And it's like, okay. She's into hiding it. Whatever. We don't need to call her on it. Mrs. Yeah. Mac. We don't should cover for us. And she does. She. I, I, that's part of why I like her so much is she covers for the girls. She's like the, the one who runs the sorority house. She's the house mother. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Because when Claire's dad arrives, Claire's dad's a real sad guy. <laughs> I had him written in my notes as Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> He's yeah. He does have kind of a Scroogey look. Uh, Mr. Harrison, right? Yeah, Mr. Harrison. Uh, Mr. Harrison. Uh, when when he shows up and he's kind of uh, obviously her dad, you know, yeah. he has the same morality where he's very upset by any uh, displays of sexuality and stuff. You can see where it came from. And mm. Mrs. Mac, she's too drunk to deal with it because she's just trying to block stuff, but she's not really. It was like, oh, I, oh <laughs> shit, there's this thing too. Ah, oh no. Yeah, uh, the interactions between her and Mrs. Mac are great because Mrs. Mac is like trying to put on the oh I'm the lovely house mother, but she's but, so drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but then like whenever his back is turned, she's like ah you fucking cat you piece of shit where are you you fucking but oh it's really nice that you're giving me a ride into town like this Mr. Harrison it's so kind of you. Yeah, and she she again, she's very Canadian. There are a few people in this that are are uh, super Canadian. <laughs> um, and then we have Chris, who is dating Claire. I <laughs> can't really get a read on his thing. He he's the one who gets the cops to actually take it seriously, but I don't really get how. Yeah, it was it and it was it was also him dressed as Santa at the party at that one point, right? Or was no, that the, the that's the other guy. boyfriend? Is that Bill? It might. It was a guy who I didn't write down here because he's only dressed ho, up as Santa. Ho, ho, oh shit! Yeah, <laughs> I think that's Bill. It's it's someone else's boyfriend. Yeah, um, I think so. But yeah, we don't find out much about him. I don't think he even gets killed. 
No, no. He he just happens to be there at this one party. So after the Frank the prank phone call, Claire is really shooken up, up about it, and I yeah. guess she kind of gets into a little bit of a verbal sparring match with Barb. It doesn't seem like that much of a big deal, though. Like, no, I didn't even register it at first. It's pretty minor. I think it just becomes something that magnifies when people are talking about it later because they're looking for reasons that she may have disappeared. They never really realize that she's been murdered. They never find her body until really late in the movie. Oh, yeah. No, her her body. No, they don't find her body at all. Oh, right. That's right. It's still in the attic at the end. Yeah. Her and Mrs. Mack are never found. That's right. Because, uh, like, ultimately, it, it turns into the thing where she is a little upset that Barb uh, talked back to the moaner or the, the prank caller and possibly brought this potential rapist down upon them. Because that's how it starts. And it's like, oh, what yes. if he's a rapist? Yeah, and, yeah, that's right. And you just provoked him. And... Yeah. And she's, like, she knows she's just about to go home for christmas and she's gonna go meet her dad and she just is pissed off at having to deal with this stuff and uh it it turns into a fight of uh you know her being too christian and too virginal whereas barb is really really free-spirited mm-hmm. yeah they, they get a fight and she calls her a professional virgin and she's like fine whatever and she stomps up to leave and as she's packing her stuff uh to get ready to meet her her dad the next day she hears a meowing yeah mrs max cat claude there is now yes there is a cat mrs max cat Mm -hmm. but i don't think all the meowing is the cat no we definitely hear meowing in the calls too yes yeah um some of it is is definitely uh billy because (laughs) it's what he uses (laughs) to attract her right now yeah, and and her reaction is so weird. She's like going to the closet after hearing these meows, and she's just like, "Who is it? Who is it?" It's like it would be the cat. <laughs> it would be the cat, wouldn't it? You you would think, uh, but it well, isn't. It's not. It, it is Billy. It is Billy. One thing about the kills in this is you never really <laughs> see them, but they sound so painful. Yeah, they like, really go well on the foley work. Yeah, like they're they're you can hear them screaming every time he's killing somebody. There has to be some other noise in the house to drown out the screaming. Mm-hmm. And it's always uh, shot pretty dark. You just hear a lot of thrashing around. They're never easy, fast kills. No. And this is uh, the only one that's really kind of uh, movietic in a way. Like this is the only one that's really visual. Yeah, because he takes the uh, he takes. I, so I guess he got into the closet from the crawl space. Uh, I, I don't guess. understand how this house is set up at all. Well, there is a part where we see him getting up into the attic. And I don't know if that's earlier or later because oh, he just right seems to. OK, because I think he's just able to sneak around the house all over the place. He maybe when he was calling them. He was in her room, and then he went into the closet after that, or something. Oh, it could be that. But he, but there's only two phones in this house. Uh, mm. This predates lots and lots of landlines yeah, or cell that's phones. True, yeah. So maybe he called and then quickly scurried over into the closet. Could be, yeah. 
so yeah he he freaking wraps her head in this like plastic saran wrap like a it's it's a dress uh shield like for when uh like when you dry clean a dress it's it's the dry cleaning bag right right i couldn't think what it was called and uh yeah he wraps he wraps her up in this and she's gonna stay like that until after the end of the movie yeah just sitting in a rocking chair uh with the bag on her head uh and and it's the iconic image of the movie most of the more recent releases that is the cover art yep uh later on he puts a (laughs) creepy doll in her arms yeah why not why not (laughs) billy does seem to have a childlike mentality but like an evil child yeah uh billy kind of reminds me of We've brought this up so many times in the show, but from that <laughs> one Treehouse of Horror episode, uh, the Hugo, Hugo. Uh, the well, yeah, evil Bart twin in the attic. He, yeah, he's the, the creepy one up in the attic. And of uh, course, you know, it's also the urban legend of the calls are coming from inside the house. <laughs> uh, th- there's a lot of memes that I've been referencing that I didn't realize might have had their origin from this movie. This is kind of the very first Who Was Phone yeah, I don't like I, I feel like the urban legend probably existed before this, but I, I do okay. feel like this is maybe the first time you've done. I, I've seen the movie of the the calls are coming from inside the house. Well, didn't one of the screams do that? Uh, definitely. I mean, it's it's been done a lot. It's it's there are entire movies that are entirely based around that concept. <clears throat> oh, OK. When a stranger calls, you know, they, they, they do this. But uh, th- this one. Uh, it, it's cool that it's just sort of hidden there and that you finally you, you get the like hard reveal and like, oh, my God, the calls are coming from inside the house. Although it's sort of obvious already because you saw him sneak in and you know that he's sneaking around in the house killing people. But it sort of seems like maybe he's not associated with the calls or something. I don't know. Yeah, um, I, I just got excited when I heard the line. Yeah. Uh, and I love the the tracing sequence, which is fucking awesome. <laughs> oh, my God, the tracing. Oh, I have, well, I would say I have thoughts about it, but I don't know what tracing was like back in the 1970s. I mean, it was this. It, it looks <laughs> like th- this is exactly what you would have done. This seems to be a real switching station. You really get into the mechanics of it. It's cool. You really do. Uh, so there's another phone call, and this time it's not the prank caller. It's uh, Jess calling Peter to whine about his life, about how he's so tired. Peter calling Jess. Or, yeah, Peter calling Jess to whine about his life. How he's so tired. He's been awake for three days, getting ready for this big piano recital, and it feels like you don't love me. And also, Jess is like, Peter, I really need to talk to you. Why don't you just tell me on the phone? I'm so tired. Whatever this is, I don't need it. Yeah, he's uh, he sucks. It's it's he's clearly kind of a shitty boyfriend, but it also seems like he is not doing well in college. Being a musician in college is not working out for him. <laughs> no kidding. like it's clearly just it's not going well and he like he should not be spending three days awake before a piano recital he should be getting his rest and (laughs) knowing how to do it like it it shouldn't be there's no study intensive nature to this (laughs) no he's just he's just like oh well i i'm just so tired and my life is so hard and everything is bad well, it just seems like he has an anxiety disorder. Like, the the guy is just yeah. obviously not mentally well, and he needs help. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, but he's not getting it. He's taking it out on Jess. Yeah, he's not getting it and he's not seeking it. And he yes. is just he is a raging asshole. Like he's a really bad guy as a result oh. of it. Oh, he's yeah. violent. He's uh, always throwing things into rage. Like it's totally reasonable for the police to suspect him. Oh, yeah. I mean, they find the when he <laughs> when he <laughs> busts up the piano a guitar, he smashes the piano. With the piano bench, or he he takes the piano stool and smashes it into the piano. Very expensive. Yeah, I don't think that was his shit either. <laughs> oh, probably not, because it's in the university. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, if I were John Saxon, I look like, yeah, this is a real good suspect. <laughs> I mean, I, look at this. Yeah, definitely rather suspect this guy than Freddy Krueger. Yeah. I, I don't know, did he suspect Freddy? I still haven't seen the first one. Uh, no, he he does have a thing where he suspects a boyfriend in that one, too. Okay, okay. Uh, another <laughs> thing this movie did first, uh, before the famous instance of it, yeah. Peter says to Jess, I love you, and she's like, I know. Yeah, like, I, I know, Peter, uh, but I really need to talk to you about something, because uh, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, this really needs to be done in person. She's obviously done with Peter. Uh, Peter oh. is just so too much. Oh, yes. And Peter is not aware that she's done with him, and she, he's not okay with it when he finds out. No, no. He's not used to uh, hearing a no, I don't think. I think that is a very big part of it, yes. He's someone who's very used to having always gotten his way, which, again, I, I think that's a big part of why, as a musician in college and being graded on his art... He can't handle it, and it's destroying his brain. <laughs> I love his piano recital. You can... <laughs> He's so angry, <laughs> and they don't just, like it. <laughs> you usually just hear about the bad piano recital. You never get yeah. to hear the bad piano recital. Yeah, and it's it's not terrible. Like, you can see it's sort of an avant-garde thing, but he is just so tortured playing it, and it's obviously not going quite right. And you see the people in the 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 professor's grade, and it's like, oh man, <laughs> they're looking at each other like, oh boy, something's not right with this kid. It doesn't have the uh, the pizzazz of the Strangler song. No, nor does it have like the energy of uh, Bill Paxton playing the sax. It doesn't have that kind of like that. That's really scronky Saxon sounds kind of messed up, but there it has like an energy to it. And this is just like, it's a bad energy. It's like a child pounding the piano with his fists. Yeah. He is just like, this guy needs, he, this guy's working out his problems on the piano. He's not playing music. He's working out the problems in his evaluation with like the big <laughs> head music guys. Yeah, it's it's not good. He, well, again, to his poor impulse control, again making him seem like a pretty good suspect. Uh, if he survived, he'd grow up to become like Billy Corgan. He, I, I, he's too tortured of an artist. He would, I don't think he'd ever be able to become successful. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, no, but <laughs> uh, we have a lovely scene of Mrs. Mac. Uh, so this character looks like 
she's somebody who would break into a song at any moment about the joys of going to bed on time or of dusting your bookshelves. And I was so happy because immediately after I made that observation, she's in the she's in the bathroom, like brushing her teeth and singing a song about it. And I'm like, yes, you go, Mrs. Mac. And finding one of her hidden liquor bottles in the cabinet. And the, no, no, she looks in not the, cabinet, the cabinet, it's not there. And she has to open up the <laughs> toilet tank to find it. Right. I wonder if she ever accidentally drinks some of Barb's liquor on purpose or if Barb ever accidentally drinks hers. I mean, she only seems to drink this one thing. It's this sherry in these specific bottle types. It's nothing else. Whereas Barb is just drinking everything. Barb will, will take whatever you can get. Barb's holiday wreath is uh, decorated with shot bottles. Of course it is. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. It's central to what she does. Like, drinking is her character. <laughs> uh, I, I just like the transition of as she's, like, using the sherry as as mouthwash and brushing her teeth and singing ugh. and dancing. She's having fun, <laughs> but, like, ugh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ah, she, Mrs. Mac is living her best life. We can't talk yeah. shit about Mrs. She's Mac. She's having a great time. I like Mrs. Mac. I, I have nothing against her. She's no. definitely the the happier version of the character. Like in, in Deranged, she got attached to this husband. And she also has like a fun energy in that movie. It's si kind of similar, really. But kind of. There, she really hitched her wagon to the wrong guy. I mean, it sort of goes wrong for her here, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just like as she's dancing, uh, it cuts it like smash cuts to Claire. This is the first time we see her all set up on the rocking chair outside mm. the window. Right. And, and yeah, like he he set her up and, and posed her body. Mm -hmm. And just for himself, because yeah. no one's going to find them for. Uh, well, not not in this movie. Not in this movie. <laughs> Uh, the, t the next day, Claire's dad, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, Mr. Harrison. This <laughs> poor guy. Uh, I, I, I feel bad for him, but at the same time, he is a fuddy-duddy. He is such a stuffy fuddy-duddy. He seems like he would be the villain in a Snobs vs. Slobs movie. If Just he's a real well-I-never sort of guy. Oh, yeah. If this were a different college movie, he would totally be the villain. Yeah. And this sort of movie didn't exist until this movie came out. So that's maybe kind of why they, they cast him to be sort of that guy. Yeah, but you never end up suspecting this guy. No, well, you, you never have. Uh, I, I don't feel that that's ever the intention. Just that he seems like he would normally be sort of an antagonist. But here you really feel for him because he is just here to find his daughter. And somehow that's gone wrong. And he is never able to figure out what happened. Yeah, that's right. He doesn't get his closure. Lots no. of other people do, but he doesn't. No, no closure. Yeah, even though he's the one who like started the whole police investigation. That sucks for him. I mean, presumably after they go back in, after the end, they will look through the rest of the house when they realize that they didn't get the killer. Hopefully. I mean, they would have to. I, I, I assume that the only reason that they didn't search the whole house at this point was because they thought they got the guy. Yeah, they were just trying to just trying to clear everyone out, clear out the reporters and all that other stuff. I just think it's crazy that they left Jess there and didn't take her to the hospital. Mm, she wasn't hurt. <laughs> I, it, it was a different <laughs> time, remember. I guess. I guess. 
Wait, like you're gonna ha- have to take her to the hospital where she has to pay for care. Uh, th- this is not necessarily said in Canada. <laughs> oh, that's true too. Even though some people have very Canadian accents, some people are extremely Canadian. Mrs. Mack is pretty Canadian. She's pretty Canadian. Mr. Harrison ends up meeting Mrs. Mack at the sorority house. Yay! And... <laughs> <laughs> this scene—it's very silly. It's—it's it's kind of a good comic scene of her trying to like stand in front of racy posters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the like sexy posters that everybody had in their college dorm room. She's like trying to stand in front of them to cover him up as uh, Mr. Harrison is going through Claire's room and lamenting about, about oh, the, the, the morals and, and about the morals. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I didn't bring my daughter here for drinking and picking up boys. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, that's college, dude. You you let her do her. Okay. And also yeah. she's not doing that stuff. Well, that too. But also then what did you bring her to the sorority house for? It is weird that she would be living in a sorority house if she's uh, supposed to be uh, very, very Christian and stuff. But you'd think she would be in a Christian sorority house because I think they have some of those. They have like very Christian. I don't know. I don't know this culture. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, typically the sorority house is for parties. That's the that's you you join a fraternal association for partying. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, like also is sometimes because there's secret societies and all of that bullshit. But well, that is clearly not the case here. This is not that sort of sorority. No, there is no secret society going on here. No secret society and no real. Uh, th- this is an Ivy League college. The, being in a sorority isn't something that's going to be like uh, something that uh, is good on your resume or anything. It's just <laughs> a place to stay <laughs> on campus or near mm. campus. So they're going back and forth a bit, and <laughs> Mrs. Mack is clearly, clearly not into Mr. Harrison's bullshit. Yeah. We see her, like, getting ready to go into town a bit later, like, uh, I didn't bring my boys, or I didn't bring my girls here for picking up boys and drinking. Oh, well, what did you bring them here for, you stupid bastard? Yeah, yeah she, she is sick of guys. She's probably seen lots of guys like this, especially oh. with, it's 1974, she's just gone through the 60s. She was probably pretty cool in the early 60s, and now she's just like, she's this drunk lady, and she just has fun uh, letting the girls in her care do what they want to do. Well, I think it's a little bit more than that. I think she's providing them a safe and controlled environment to do oh, yeah. what they want to do. Yeah, I, I think which she is takes care of them. Uh, yeah. like they, They're clearly, they all have affection for her. Oh, they love Mrs. Mac. They got her like this sweet ass uh, pajamas for Christmas. <laughs> right. Hey, go try them on. And she comes out and she's like a big pink bunny. And <laughs> no, that, that's a Christmas story. That's another oh. Bob Clark movie. <laughs> <laughs> Aunt Clara made that especially for you. He looks like a pink nightmare. <laughs> <sighs> but they eventually agree that uh, Mr. Harrison is going to give Mrs. Mack a ride into town or she's going to give him, someone's going to give someone a ride into town. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's him giving her a ride because she's been drinking. I don't think she should drive. Maybe he's driving her car. No, I think he has a vehicle because he was picking up Claire. She was supposed to come meet him to be picked up and brought back home for Christmas. Yeah. Although who's driving the car isn't actually that important. No. (laughs) 
we finally meet Peter as not a voice on the phone and have the difficult discussion between him <sighs> and Jess. Right. And he's angry. Yeah. She, she is pregnant. She does not want to keep the baby. Nope. And he is like, well, you're going to. Yeah. I was like, well, it's not your decision. It's like, I believe it is my decision. I'm sorry. I also, I don't like you. Uh, maybe I don't want to be around you anymore. It's like, well, yeah. I don't agree with that either. <laughs> <laughs> don't you think about anyone other than yourself? He says to her, don't right. you know how important this afternoon is to me? To me? Me, me, me. It's different because it's <laughs> me now. Yeah. Uh, he is, he lacks self-awareness in any way. Yep. He believes, yeah, he, he believes that he could just say, oh, no, you're marrying me and we're having this baby. And right. That's all I, I need to make it happen. I think part of it is he has this tunnel vision of where he can make it work. And it's like, OK, fine. College isn't working out for me either. And uh, we'll just both drop that and you'll drop this college stuff. We'll have this kid and we'll we'll live a life together. That'll be way better. He's like planning an exit strategy because he knows he's going to blow this fucking recital. <laughs> and she's like, uh, I actually have life plans and I'm not going to uh, drop all of them because you changed your mind about something. Yeah, like I came to college because I wanted to learn and do something with my life. I have no intention of being your housewife. Also, going back to it, I don't like you. <laughs> I you're definitely awful. don't want your baby. Yeah, you're driving me fucking crazy. You need to just go do something else. <laughs> so later that afternoon, the Christmas party happens. Um, ho, 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 shit, shit. <laughs> ho, ho, ah, fuck. <laughs> I love uh, that. Is this guy. kid gonna piss on me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just one of their boyfriends dressed up in a Santa outfit, and he is so not into it. I really love that. Just great little bit of flavor. Yep. Uh, one of many great bits of flavor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a movie that's really full of character, and it's it's a very Bob Clark thing. Like it's funny how much. Black Christmas and A Christmas Story have in common, just in terms of aesthetic and setting. They're both Christmas movies. They both have all of these character grace moments. They have this deep cast of really interesting faces. It's, uh, yeah, it's weird. Two Christmas classics from the same guy. <laughs> and very, very different. I, man, I gotta watch A Christmas Story one of these days. Yeah, you really do gotta see it sometime, because it's I don't even know. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know. It's hard for me to evaluate. I think it's brilliantly written. Uh, some some things may not play that great anymore. That's probably true. Uh, that's usually how it is in the seventies and eighties. Yeah, because this one's kind of uh, got to wonder. Yeah, Black uh, uh, A Christmas Story is eighty three, so it's a good nine years after this. But you know, yeah. Uh, we have a fun scene of, uh, well, fun. Mr. Harrison's on the phone with, I guess, Mrs. Harrison about how Claire hasn't shown up. Mm -hmm. The fun part is Barb is in the background uh, just feeding booze to this kid. <laughs> yeah. Where, like, he's talking to her and's like, well, I got to talk to the police. And I don't know. And there, there's just some kid that's loose at the party. And uh, she is just pouring hard liquor in the kid's mouth. It's like, yeah, sure. Why not? 
<laughs> and then she says to Mr. Harrison, like, hey, man, I think this kid is shittered. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As Mr. Harrison is, like, just glancing at her every, like, every couple seconds while he's on the phone is like, should I do something about this? I mean, I intend to do something about this because, well, I never, <laughs> but should I do something about this now or after I find my missing daughter? Yeah, I, I feel for Mr. Harrison, but he is the fuddy-duddy. He he would be the crusty old dean. Yeah, well, I guess not the dean. Not He's got to be no. a benefactor. You know, maybe the guy who's visiting the college is a dignitary. Oh, yeah, like the alumni or the ambassador or whatever. That pig had some powerful friends. <laughs> <laughs> Here is our first prank phone call since uh, since Claire has been killed. Right. I'm pretty sure. I just want to double check that. Yeah, I believe so. That, that yes. should be right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so for the timeline, it's the afternoon Claire was killed the previous night, so he doesn't call immediately after killing. Or at least he doesn't this time. Or at least, yeah. Because some of them he does seem to pretty quickly, I think. Maybe it's about how quickly he can get to a phone. Maybe. Because he... he knows to be careful. Yes. Despite seeming to be completely batshit insane. Yeah, well, I mean, that's also true of a lot of the really crazy killers. I don't know if this had happened yet, but there's that the earthquake guy, right? The guy who thought he or Herb, Herb Mullen, who oh. had just this really insane spree. But as soon as he was done killing someone, he knew he had to keep it very secret so he could keep on uh, continuing his very important work so that Los Angeles was not destroyed by an earthquake. His killings needed to uh, continue to keep that from happening. Right, because if he didn't kill everyone, then Los Angeles would get destroyed by an earthquake. Yeah, by the wrath of God. For of course. Sins, yeah. uh, obviously. Uh, and, not and his he, sin, though. No, not his, of course. No. I mean, he's, he's doing it for God, so it's different. Uh, but it, it, he seems like he's maybe sort of in that sense, like he's obviously deranged, but he know he has enough self-preservation to just uh keep it secret and also it doesn't seem like he has any home life he just lives in the attic <laughs> oh yeah this guy doesn't have a house yeah he's a hider in the house <laughs> this prank call is where we first can kind this first time we can kind of hear what he's saying he's right. like where did you put agnes billy <laughs> and Whatever that even means. Um, right. He is usually called Billy, so I guess this is supposed to be something that was yelled at him as a child. Maybe he killed an Agnes, who maybe his sister? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, we never get context. Or maybe this is something, like, maybe he killed a girl named Agnes in another house, and this is something he heard yelled at someone named Billy who lived in the house. Oh, yeah, he might not even be Billy. Yeah, because he's just a parrot. He is parroting all sorts of stuff. We, From this argument that uh, uh, Peter has had with Jess, I think that's this one where he says the thing about the baby, right? Uh, that's that's actually their next argument. Oh, it's they the have next a few one. fights over it, and they right, kind of the, blur together. They get a baby removed like you would a wart, <laughs> which is just a very Peter like stupid thing wart. to say. No one but Peter would say that, so that Billy is saying that. That should set off incredible alarm bells in Jess. Well, it does. 
it yeah she recognizes it but it's weird that she does not immediately say okay that was definitely peter because there is no one else who would say something like that that's an insane oh, yeah, thing she, to say she should but she covers for him for the cop I which guess, she yeah. should not have done but not in this sort of situation my god yeah there's already been a disappearance in your house mm-hmm uh, the next scene is in the police station where uh, uh, Sergeant Nash, <laughs> where he finally meets Sergeant Nash. Uh, he the is, dumb cop. He's in the running for one of the worst cops. Yes. Like he is very Wiggum esque. He has this whole thing. Ah, I don't think it's anything like they're here to report the uh, prank calls as well as the disappearance. And he is. So oblivious, like, well, there's probably no connection. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> they, I'm just going to type this just... up on my Indisible typewriter. <laughs> well, when well, he says to Barb, he's like, shut up, just shut up, okay? <laughs> yeah. He does not have time for Barb. Barb is too drunk for him. Barb is a sassy college girl. And this is a college town, so it's probably something he has to deal with a lot. And he has a very limited brain space to deal with things. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I need to use my one brain cell to type up this report on my invisible typewriter. Yeah. Uh, well, he is taking the report down because he takes their phone number. He uh, <laughs> does take their phone number. He tries to. Uh, well, he tries to. Uh, Barb. Barb, Barb can't fucks resist. with them. She cannot resist messing with him. He is so stupid. She knows she can pull it over on him. It's like yeah, I don't uh, even understand how this trick worked. Because the guy's so stupid, he doesn't know what the word means. Yeah, but like, what was it? Uh, yeah, so the the phone number, she's like, it spells out fellatio. Yeah, F-E-L. It's a new exchange. I'm like, really? F-E-L? I've never heard that exchange before. Yeah, fellatio. It's like, huh. Okay. <laughs> it just goes completely over his head. And then there's a later... Like, much later in the movie, this is a joke that they really hold to pay off in a really effective <laughs> way. It's so good. Because <laughs> much later, John Saxon is asking for the phone number, and the other cop has already seen it and knows what he's done wrong, and has just been waiting for it to land. Just he's the like juiciness of it. Trying so hard to hold in his laughter. <laughs> he's only credited as laughing detective because he's just <laughs> in the background of the desk and he knows about this joke that he's been waiting to land ever since Barb made the joke. He's just like, oh, this is going to be juicy. <laughs> and just waiting for Saxon to realize it and chew him out. <laughs> but... Uh, Sergeant Nash ultimately determines that, you know, maybe Claire is just ran away from home. Sure. Some girls just run away from home, you know. So sometimes they do that. Maybe I think you just got to check up. with some boyfriends, you know. Yeah, maybe shacked up with a boyfriend. Uh, anyway, it's definitely not a crime. He's the classic lazy, useless cop. He does not want to do anything uh, and he is just not going to. He'll find any excuse to not work. Yes. So uh, Jess takes Nash's stupid advice and is like, well, I'm going to check with uh, Claire's boyfriend then. Yeah. And uh, Claire's boyfriend, Chris, is like, what the fuck? She's missing? No, she's not with me. The cops aren't taking it seriously. I haven't heard anything about this. What the fuck? <laughs> I, so I thought she was home for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. It's like no, she, she, she never met up with her father. Uh, her bags are still in her room. 
And like, I know her. Obviously, she would not do that. What what do you mean? The cops said she just ran off with some guy. I'm going to go talk to those police. Yeah. So here's an interesting thing, uh, because he when he comes into the police station, he acts like he knows them. And uh, John Saxon's character, he calls him Ken. And and he's like, Chris, what's going on? Like, these guys know each other. Mm -hmm. And that's not really explored. But I think that's really just like an interesting detail to have first. Like, it really makes it feel like a real small town. Mm-hmm. Just some dude he knows. Uh, this dude's in lots of stuff. Art Hindle, who plays Chris, uh, he he's just like one of these Canadian actors who's in every Canadian picture. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, he, he's chewing up. He's, he's basically saying to Ken, to John Saxon's character, like, hey, Nash doesn't fucking do anything. He didn't even probably tell you about this missing girl report. Uh, which is true. Which is true. He did yeah, and, not tell. And Saxon's pissed. Right? Yeah. Because he's like, hey, you you know that this is the house that there was this disappearance from. And they've been receiving these calls. You did not think to put these things together? I don't think to put things together. I just type. Yeah, it's not my job. I didn't want to bother you with it, sir. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Uh, the recital scene is next. Yeah, and he and, just, he blows oh, it. Oh, man. It's juicy. It's beautiful. This is such it's so terrible piano playing. It, it's so fascinating to see someone just obviously flaming out. And it's, in a way, it's to serve as a potential motivation. If he were the killer, it's just him torching everything that he has to hold on to. But in reality, he's just disintegrating. Oh, yeah. It's like, I only failed this recital because she's bothering me with all this dumb abortion crap. Right. How selfish of her. But obviously, this is just a pivot from the three days he's been awake, tortured over the recital already. Because, like, it it seems like the the baby thing is just him also pivoting with his like, okay, I'm definitely about to flame out and I'm not going to be able to handle this recital. So sure. The baby thing. That's great. We'll get married. Uh, Cause I'm not going to be in college for very long. It's not working out. <laughs> uh, it, it's, I love the looks on the faces of the judges. They just are like, <laughs> why? Like, Oh dude, you're, Oh, this is one of the worst we've ever had. Why did like, why did you bother scheduling this? Why did we set aside time for this? I could be it, having coffee. It doesn't make sense, really. Like, it it, it clearly is a, a case of him just at a total mental breakdown because he is a musician. He has been studying. He is capable of playing music. Yeah, it's just today he can't get it. Yeah. And, yeah, he... he is it right after the uh, recital that he trashes the piano or is it later it's the next time we see him okay so after another fight on the phone i think um or is it the, the the argument where he shows up at the house and he's coming from downstairs having been asleep in her room uh he smashes the piano and then he goes to the house okay okay and then he never really leaves the house after that i mean just weird he he also becomes a hider in the house Kind of. He's sort of just hanging around outside the house, though. He doesn't have the idea to crawl into the attic like Billy, or that would have been a whole different movie. Oh, man. 
if he just uh, like happened upon Billy early on, or the body. Hey, me and you have the same silhouette. <laughs> He's not they played by the same guy. No, they. Like, uh, there's three different people who play Billy, but none oh. of them are uh, Caradelea. Interesting. And they do have the same silhouette, but only sometimes. Well, you know who plays the shadow of Billy is the director, Bob Clark. No kidding. Yeah. Hmm. And sometimes he's the voice on the phone. There's like a couple different ones. Well, there'd have to be a few uh, different voices on the phone. Right. I mean, clearly they're not uh, being they're They're not one person. Like they're pre-recorded. They have to be. Yeah. Uh, back at the police station, a we have a different we haven't seen this woman before. Um, a mother who is reporting the disappearance of her daughter, Janice, who's like Mrs. 13 years old. Yeah, Mrs. Quaif. Mrs. That's what it was, Mrs. Quaif. And, of course, poor lady has to report it to Sergeant Nash, who's like... Oh, girls it, run off, you know. Girls run off. Is it really that weird that she's going to be six hours late? Well, yeah, it's, it's really it's, weird. It's very unusual for her. It's like, well... I don't know. It's not enough for me to get off my ass. <laughs> Maybe she's with a boyfriend. Of course. It's like, she doesn't, she's 13. I know, but I'm just re-going for my scripts, man. Yeah. And, oh, it's here where Chris Burson is like, hey, actually get on these cases. Yeah, what the fuck? She has not run off with the guy. I'm her guy. And she went to go see her dad. Her dad says she's missing, so you should be doing something. Yep. Nash, you fuck. (laughs) (laughs) You fuck. (laughs) And I just love, he's like, he has to stop himself when he's talking to Saxon, because he's like, Nash is a piece of, Nash is not a good cop. Yeah. And they're all aware of it. Like, all of the other cops are like, yeah, Nash sucks. I mean, he's a complete (laughs) idiot. That's why he just works the desk. Nash sucks. He works the desk, and we have to be watching him twenty four seven. Yeah, it he's just not even good at that. Not have Nash. It, it's it's the humps and mopes. He's like one of those guys who just fall down the stairs in the wire and just <laughs> go on comp. Uh, who signs my overtime? Right. <laughs> so now we're at dinner at the sorority, sorority house. house. So Claire has been missing for about twenty four hours now. Uh, the little girl's been missing for we don't know how long, and uh, Mr. Harrison is having dinner, although he is obviously too distraught to eat. I guess it's – no, I guess it, it has to – because she said that she's, like, been uh, – she's six hours late, so she would have disappeared that day. So maybe Billy goes out and kills her during the day. Oh. Maybe that's what the phone call we got. Yeah. Just, yeah, that would make sense, because otherwise Billy would have phoned the next day for Claire's murder. Mm-hmm. Or maybe Billy really didn't murder the little girl? It could be, because it he could have just had be to an leave unrelated the house. thing. And it, yeah, and, and we don't really get the impression that he does. Yeah. Uh, it, it felt unrelated, but it also felt like like it could be connected. Mm-hmm. We don't find out what happened to the little girl conclusively. No, they just, they do ultimately find the body. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, we don't see it, but we see their reactions to it. Right, yeah. But at the dinner is where Barb just gets <laughs> really freaking wasted than usual. She's fucking hammered. 
Like she is passing out drunk. <laughs> She's going off to Mr. Harrison about how a turtle can screw for three days straight. <laughs> she knows because she went to the zoo to check. Right. Did she just go every day and do nothing else? Just watched turtles have sex all no. day? She went to the zebras first. Or right. She went to the zebras in between because they get done in 30 seconds. Right. Like, <laughs> what is she doing in in college? Like, that's not clear what, what her <laughs> what's her drinking. major. Yeah. Drinking it seems to be her major. <laughs> General studies is what you call that degree. <laughs> but she just starts going off after the turtle thing about how, like, you all think it's my fault, aren't you? You, you think right. I drove Claire away. And it's like nobody has said or thought or has in any way indicated. I think you're projecting your guilt here, Barb. I think so. And I think maybe what we're seeing with her drinking this much is maybe a reaction to it. That she has been over drinking and really going kind of nuts because she's worried that she caused whatever happened. That she targeted this guy towards them or uh, she uh, made Claire so upset that she went out and something happened to her. That that either way she feels guilty about it and she just has no other way to deal with it except drinking. Okay. She's sort of a, a mirror to Peter where Peter is having this breakdown and he just... Cannot deal with it in any way. <laughs> uh, from uh, Mrs. Max and Phil's reaction, you really get the impression that nobody actually thinks that Barb's responsible, though. No, they, they clearly do not blame her, but she blames herself and she can't let go of it. Yeah. She's really tortured. Yeah, she's like, you've been implying it all afternoon. And no, they haven't. But she's been thinking about it and looking for them to be implying it. Yep. Which it uh, seems to be the same thing with Peter. He is looking for any sort of reason that it's something else, that it's exterior to him. She doesn't want to get an abortion because I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> she must just be confused. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 I, something else is wrong here. I need to just get this situation back in hand. I'll make her see reason. I'm just going to lurk in the shadows around her house all day. <laughs> and break a window to get into the basement. I mean, he was in a rush. <laughs> <laughs> Things are happening too fast. Uh, oh, Peter sucks. Peter's an idiot, but Peter is also clearly having a mental breakdown, too. Yeah. But everybody decides to take a little break from the uh, the Claire thing to search for this little girl to join the right. uh, the search party. Yeah. Well, because they're also thinking that they might come across Claire. Yeah, yeah. As, as a search party, it's like, well, Claire might be out here, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mrs. Mack says to Phil as she's leaving, like, hey, I might not. I'm going to my sister's for Christmas, so I might not be here when you get back. So if I'm conspicuously missing, uh, <laughs> you're not going to find it suspicious. Oh, OK, I won't find it suspicious when you're gone. Love you, Mrs. Mac. We'll miss you. We will miss Mrs. Mac. We will Mac. miss Mrs. Mac. Because I think she is next to go right away. Oh, she is. Because uh, she yeah. just starts exploring the house. Yeah, she's exploring the house. Somehow uh, she is able to find Claire's body. Because the cat... Even the police don't. Oh, right. She's looking for her cat. She's looking for the cat, and the cat 
does freely go up and down from the attic and hangs out with Claire's body at some point. That's true. It just sits in Claire's lap. And it, it, there's that part where it's licking the condensation off the bag. Yeah. Oof. Very eerie. Very, very eerie. Uh, but yeah, she's looking for a cat because her cat's always kind of doing his own thing. And that's a question. Is it Claude meowing that draws her up there or is it Billy again meowing? to draw her up there because he knows that she will come 50 50 i kind of get the feeling that i kind of get the feeling that claude doesn't be out because claude doesn't want to be found right claude is just hanging out claude likes it at the sorority house he doesn't want to go to mrs Max's sister's house god no (laughs) he wants to sit on the lap of all these cute girls yeah but mrs mac eventually uh realizes that can't figure out how Claude got into the attic, but uh, is able to surmise that he did. Because there's meowing up there. There's meowing up there, yep. And she climbs up, and first she sees Claire's body. Right. She sees her in the rocking chair with the bag on her head. Yep. And then she turns around, and she sees the killer, who is shot completely in silhouette. Like Um, a giallo killer. Yep, of course. Uh, But you can see his one eye. And he has a hook. He has, yeah, this hook on a rope that he just swings at her and is like pulleys and it like pulls her up. And this is another one that sounded like she suffered a lot before she died. Yes, it's quite brutal. I think that's one of the things that this movie does that very few slashers tend to do afterward is it it doesn't show a lot, but the violence is like it's clearly painful. You you really feel uh how how brutal it is yeah these are not clean kills at all Mm -hmm. um and and now mrs mac is also a window decoration right of course hanging as the killer is for some reason in the attic uh doing a tommy was so and throwing everything onto the floor going "Ah, ah, i'm tired of the world billy yeah he's just kind of having a big fit i don't know uh, because it's it, it is next that like they they find Janice the the they, the high school girl. Yes, they they do find her while they're out searching in the field or something or in the forest. And then outside, and Jess comes home to a call from Billy. Like she comes home and the phone is ringing. Right, the phone is ringing. Uh, it's Billy. And then Peter comes from upstairs. Right. So this is the point where he just ha- like. The, so the question I have, do you think he was in the house while the killer was having the freak out in the attic? Did you just not notice? Um. Well, since it doesn't have anything to do with him, why would he notice? It could be because, you know, he did mention that he'd been awake for three days prior to his recital. Maybe he just had his fucking freak out at the recital came to her house and she wasn't there and he fucking passed out just total blackout and just was totally unable to hear anything going on i buy it i totally buy that and and i i buy that because i think this might be the sole time he sleeps in the entire movie and the rest of the time is just him lurking in the shadows after this (laughs) right so his thing is he wants her to marry him it's like okay my i've got a great idea 
we're going to get married. You're, you're going to keep the kid. We'll just get married. I, 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 I'm, I happen to be done with college, as it turns out. <laughs> I've got this whole other thing. You're going to be my housewife. And she's like, uh, fucking no. <laughs> yeah, no. I want to have an abortion. I don't want this baby. And this is where he has that crazy line, right? Yeah, he, he says, like, you just want to get rid of that baby. Like, it's just some wart that you can remove. Right. Which is such a distinct and bizarre thing to say. Uh, I, I guess we didn't mention that, like, there was this whole creepy phone call first, and then he shows up, and then it's the next time she uh, hears. It's it's when they have the phone tapped that uh, he it inserts one of Peter's phrases. Right. Right. Yeah. So Jess uh, is calling the police. It's like, hey, I'm getting all these phone calls. What do you want to do with it? Really fucked up. Yeah. And Nash is like, oh, well, nothing. I want to do nothing. (laughs) Well, I think Fuller shows up. Fuller does show up after after he after the fellatio joke uh, comes back on Nash. Right. Yeah. Because he's looking into it and is like, wait a second. You're not looking into this. You you realize all this stuff is surrounding this house and this girl just showed up murdered. Uh, I'm going to look into this, you idiot. What's the, the phone number for the sorority house? Oh, well, it's F E L L. The guy in the, the background. Ah. Like, ah. <laughs> but Fuller does uh, end up showing at the ho- up at the house with a phone technician to install the wiretap. So the uh, phone tech guy. Did you recognize him? The guy who traces the call? No. All from, from Deranged. Uh, this, uh, he was also in Deranged. This was our reporter, Tom Sims. No kidding. Yeah. Huh. All right. I'll be damned. I Yeah. <laughs> I didn't totally didn't recognize either of these people. Yeah. Les Carson. Uh, uh, he's also in a Christmas story. <laughs> <laughs> he, he sells them their Christmas tree. <laughs> oh, oh, this is important. When Peter says, as Jess is kicking him out of the house, Peter says to her, if you get this abortion, you're going to be very sorry. Right. It definitely sounds like a threat. <laughs> that really sounds threatening. Yes. And I don't think it is intended as a threat. I think he is just like legitimately like, you're going to regret it. I I don't think he intends to do anything about it. I think he is just crazy and he uh, cannot handle anything that's going on in his life. And he just is trying to make something go the way he wants it to. Yeah. And failing. Oh, completely failing. Yeah. (laughs) It's all going wrong and he's never going to get it back. No, no, he, he doesn't get a chance to after the movie. No, no. He, he, he's not surviving. Most, most, none of these people are surviving. Nope, he's not going to live. So John Saxon's doing real police work, asking mm-hmm. good questions, uh, trying to get a timeline and all that. Like, are you sure that you didn't see her in the morning? You only saw her last night. Right. All that stuff. Here, uh, Here's how the wiretap works. Uh, make sure if the killer calls, keep him on the line for as long but- as you can. The classic keep them on the line. I, I love how much they really go into the details of the call trace, though. Like, because it's not just that. It's, yeah, no. You get to see the mechanics of it, which I've never seen before, and it's so cool. Yeah, we, we see the phone tech uh, actually going to the phone company headquarters or, or 
whatever it is, like the, tech, Switching the technical room. Yeah. And like physically following the phone call. Mm-hmm. Just through all the lines and just trying to trace it. So that's why they have to keep him online because he needs to literally locate it physically. <laughs> Try to keep the killer on the line longer. My guy can't run that fast. Yeah. And it's just him running around in this cool location, which is just all of these switches and banks. It's it's like when someone's doing hacking in a, a modern movie. Oh, yeah, a lot like that. Uh, one thing that John Saxon points out to uh, Jess is like, you see that car out there? That's a police car. There's going to be mm. somebody in that car watching the house 24-7, and I'm pretty sure he's not already been killed by the murderer. Yeah, I don't think he has yet. <laughs> he will be though we don't see him alive we only yeah, ever see his car but i think we we can conclude that he is alive until at least dark because I, I would assume that it's maybe after his death that the next call comes oh maybe because the it's the next call that's not that long from now but it's when everybody else has gone home and it's the first short call where uh he he does the the wart line Right, right. That doesn't quite happen yet. We do get Peter skulking around outside the house. Mm. Might as well having having a big sign saying, I'm the murderer, I'm the murderer. Yeah, he is like, if it were a Strangler versus Strangler, we'd have Saxon with the notepad putting a box around it, underlining <laughs> his name a bunch of times. He'd be following uh, Jess <laughs> with roller skates and an orange jumpsuit. Yeah. And the ridiculous pilot hat. I love that movie so much. Oh, it was so much fun. <laughs> so um, is it everyone's like gone to bed and Barb has that asthma attack? Yes, Barb has the asthma attack now. Everybody's gone to bed. Barb has passed out. Uh, we do see the killer stalking Barb in the room. And we right. think that the screaming is going to be her, but it's actually, yes, yeah, the asthma attack. Right. It, it, like, it is her, but it's not her. She sensed him in the room and had an asthma yep. attack, but she thinks at this time that it's a nightmare. Mm -hmm. uh, but then Christmas carols, carolers come to the door. Yeah, Christmas carolers uh, show up and, you know, Jess, she's dealing with a lot of shit right now, but she doesn't want to be rude. So she uh, opens the door and politely listens to them. And during that, Jess is killed. Barb is killed. Or Barb, yeah, Barb is killed, yeah. sorry. Barb uh, is killed with a glass unicorn sculpture. Right. Uh, and, of course, she can't hear because of the caroling, and she can't really scream that much because she's been having this asthma attack. Yeah. And, and then immediately afterwards, there's another phone call. Yes, the next call is instant. And this is the one where he says, just like having a watch removed, Billy, or... Whoever. I think it's Billy. He usually says Billy. Yep. And so that's what causes Saxon, or that's what causes Jess to start suspecting Peter. But Jess yeah. doesn't tell Saxon about it, which Although is dumb. He, yeah, it is dumb. It's it's idiotic. It is definitely the dumbest choice she makes in the movie. But it, it's also like Saxon doing good police work. He's listening. He's like, you reacted when he said this line. What was that about? <laughs> yeah, n n nothing. 
Like, are you sure you don't recognize that as something someone would say? Because that's not something a normal person says. That's that sounds very specific. That's a really specific phrasing. That sounds like something you would say after you just had a really bad piano recital. Do you know anyone like that? Mm. And then another phone call comes, but this time it's actually Peter. And Sax is <laughs> like, yeah, this guy stinks. Maybe trace this one, too. Yeah, and they trace it to where he has destroyed the piano later. Mm-hmm. Right? So he wasn't there. No, and they are listening, but they're listening, too. And it's like, what's this about about killing the baby <laughs> right don't hurt the baby that just seems like a really weird thing to say mm. kind of sounds an awful lot like what the killer has been saying you see what i'm saying mm-hmm. so jess spills the beans yeah she's like okay so there's this thing going on with peter but i don't think he could be doing anything i really don't and sax is like hey i don't want it to be peter either but if it is we <clears> gotta <throat> catch him you gotta yeah. help him, you know? Yeah, let, let's figure out what's going on. You know, it, let's at least eliminate him as a suspect. It's it's best that you don't withhold this information. It's like, yeah, okay, yes. okay. Yeah, right after that is when we get our two uh, Canadian search party guys. <laughs> They're very Canadian, yeah. They're so Canadian. Oh, did you hear a little girl was murdered? Don't, don't you know? Oh, oh yeah. no doubt about it, eh? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we're just going to go get a double-double. Make sure you keep your lo- your doors and windows locked. Because, oh, like, yeah. it, they're much like the carolers, they just kind of show up suddenly at the door, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, and because they've got guns. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they're they're out searching. They're Canadian. It's the, it's the wilderness. It's northern Ontario. <laughs> and, like, make sure you get all those doors and windows locked. Oh, yeah. Head on. Jesse. Let everybody else in the neighborhood know. Yeah. But don't Just, you worry, we're out here. <laughs> okay, we're going to go away now. But first, we, we're going to say some things. And every time you try to close the door, we're going <laughs> to we're gonna keep trying to put our foot in and say things. Yeah, it's just keeping like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah just you you make sure, you know, and don't worry, we'll be out here. You know, we'll, we'll be around. Just, just be careful, though, just in case, don't yeah. you know. And <laughs> Jess and Phil just start laughing. They're like, oh, my God, that's scarier than the killer. Hold the fuck on. We haven't locked anything. Yeah, wait, we didn't lock any of the doors. Let's actually start doing that. That's probably a good idea, in fact. <laughs> yep. But then and, Phil is out, is, you know, they're going around and she sees movement in Barb's room. Oh, yes. She sees movement in Barb's room. As uh, as Jess is locking the doors, a cop is finding a smashed piano in the conservatory, mm-hmm. and another call comes through. Right. Uh, so, f- well, because Phil is killed. Phil is killed. We don't, I don't she, think we see it, though. No, she goes to check in the room, and she is killed because we just see her body later. Yes. Because that's one of the bodies that is found. Well, Barb and... Phil are the only bodies that are found, I guess. Well, Actually, other yeah, than they, they the are. cop. <laughs> yeah. The cop outside. The cop outside. <laughs> <laughs> this time, after the killer calls, uh, they are able to trace it. Right. We and... have the whole adventure trace where he's running around and looking in all the in, in the switches. And it's so cool. He's yeah. like, I found it. <laughs> the calls are coming, coming inside the house. Inside the house. Well, like, no, well, Nash, you got it wrong. 
Right. They they called to Sergeant Nash first to tell yeah. him. It's like, call Jess and just be very calm. Don't tell her anything. Just tell her to put down the phone and walk straight out the front door to the policeman outside. And don't alarm her. But Nash does it all wrong. So, Jess, you know how the killer's inside your house? Well, he tries to... <laughs> he does like, try he, it first. He doesn't say that she he's inside the house. He He's just like, you need to leave right now. And she's like, well, why? Like, I, I don't have time for any questions. You just have to go right now, immediately. Like, well, let me go get Phil and Barb. No, don't get Phil and Barb. Listen, the killer's inside yeah. the house. What? And like, oh, God damn it, Nash, you fucking idiot. And Nash is screaming into the phone, don't go upstairs. Don't go upstairs. <laughs> but of course, she needs to because she wants to see what's going on with Barb and Phil. Yeah, but she gets fireplace poker, so she'll be fine. Sure. Well, she actually kind of will be for a while. She's. It, it works out for her in the short term. If it does. Peter were the killer, this would have worked out. <laughs> yeah. Um. So she gets into Barb's room and sure Bonds enough, they are dead and posed. Yeah, of course. I mean, you, you got to do it. This is a, a, a slasher uh, tableau. It's, it's necessary in the slasher movies. It's interesting that it's right here from the start. Mm hmm. Uh, the killer grabs her hair and they struggle for a bit before she slams his hand in the door mm -hmm. and he begins screaming like a wild animal. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. Cause he, yeah, he just seems to be a feral beast who parrots words that have been heard around him rather than, uh, having any real, uh, direction to what he's doing. Mm hmm. Yeah. Like. Like an animal man or, or like mm -hmm. a Sasquatch kind of maybe. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they can yeah, talk. But... Maybe not really a Sasquatch, but he, he's definitely feral. Like there's no like obviously he does not live in any fixed address. He is just moving from house to house. There is just this uh, otherworldliness to him. He doesn't exist in human society. Mm -hmm. Like his birth certificate would if he has one would just say feral kid. Yeah, maybe he's a feral kid. Yeah, maybe. Uh, we don't find out. We're never going to find out anything about this guy. I Nothing. Fucking, I can't emphasize enough <laughs> so how great. much I love that. Uh, it's 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 it is the Michael Myers thing as well, where like we know that he's Michael Myers, but we don't know anything more about him. Just that. Yeah, he's fucking evil now. <laughs> he he became evil as a kid and now he's just an evil being who is the boogeyman. Like he has become an embodiment of evil. This one, we don't even know the name. Yeah, I, I think it's a little different in that we know – with Michael, we know that there isn't anything else to him. Right. With this guy, we know there is – or there probably is, but we there could don't be. know what it is. Right. There, Like he is a complete blank, and for that money, I think he is the scariest – or this is the scariest slasher movie. Hmm. This is just the most frightening. Just the ending is so chilling. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, Jess was able to escape to the basement, and she's being stalked by a silhouette outside the windows. Which I think and at this point isn't Billy. I, think I don't think it's just, Billy. Yeah, I think this is just Peter. Yep. Because he's heard uh, all the commotion in the house, and he's been lurking outside. And he's like, oh, I, this is my chance. This is my I chance can save to prove. Jess. Yeah, I'm going to prove myself. I can be the white knight and then she'll have to marry me because those are the rules. 
Exactly. And he's deranged at this point. Like he has not, he had just that one pass out sleep on her bed for a little bit before she started yelling at him again. So he's in a total disarray and he doesn't go about this in any sort of reasonable fashion. Uh, He creepily goes to the basement (laughs) door um, and breaks the window to get in. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's like something a, a stalking killer might do there, Peter. Yeah, it's it's not a smart move at all. And and he's she's like wielding the friggin' fireplace poker, and he's approaching her. He's like, "What are you scared of? It's me, Peter. It's I'm me, not Peter. gonna hurt you. I'm not the bad guy." And in in his mind, he he does feel he's being comforting, but he does not understand the context of what he stepped into the middle of. So she yeah. fucking stabs him. <laughs> she fireplace <laughs> and kills him. Yep, the cops arrive just in time to see her passed out, exhausted, with a dead Peter in her lap. Yeah. And, and they're, they're like, like, well, Peter obviously was the guy. He already was, like, I already had him written on my notepad with a box around it and all these lines under it. I crossed out the question marks. Yeah, no, I, I knew he was the guy, for sure. I mean, we saw that piano. He did it. Yeah. And he killed I the also, piano. He probably killed these people. And also, if we say it's Peter... We can put a check mark next to this case. Yeah, this looks pretty solved to me. Well, I'd say that wraps everything up in a neat little package. But I, th- this is the thing I really like about the movie is that it's it's showing the failings of the police in being able to deal with this sort of case, which was starting to become really prevalent in this point in time, where we have two different versions of it. we have Nash who is unwilling to uh, try to solve it. Whereas we also have Lieutenant Fuller who is trying, who is legitimately on the job and is doing detective work, but detective work won't solve this sort of case in any conventional sense. Uh So like he followed all the clues, uh, Mr. Snowman. (laughs) It it, it just, they they didn't lead to the right place. They seem to. They They all made sense, but this isn't a case that makes sense. Exactly. Like we, well, even now, even in this scene, even as they're clearing everything out, um, dealing with the reporters and all that, letting Jess sleep, even now it still feels like Peter's the one who did it. Yeah. And it feels really comfortable. And and like in the movie, the first time you're watching, it's like, huh, okay. So it really just was him. And then everything starts to slow down and it's like, why are we still in the house? Why isn't this movie over? And then you start to get uncomfortable. (laughs) We have just this long shot of the house from outside with one cop uh, patrolling outside the front door. Ring, 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 ring. Phone starts ringing again. Yeah. Ring, 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 ring. It pulls out. We we see her asleep and it's clearly just no one in the house. And yeah, the phone starts ringing. And we still see Claire and Mrs. Mack in the window. And at one point, we see a shadow coming down the ladder uh, from the attic. But oh, when, when the that. police officer is outside, because it's they 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 have the guy outside at the end of the walk, and he's just looking away from the house because you know threats come from outside. Uh, yeah. And there is a voice, and then you see the shadow, and then after that. Uh, it's it's when like it pans up to see the attic window where you can see Claire and Mrs. McHenry still just hanging there as decoration. And then, yeah, phone. Ring, 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 ring. And that's incredibly chilling because 
that that would suggest that he has then killed Jess. Uh, yeah, in in uh, this time. Yeah, if if we are if we are right about him uh, always phoning after he kills somebody, then yeah, mm-hmm. he would have killed Jess right here. Which seems to be the case, and there's no reason he would not kill her at some point in that night. Uh, and just, it's so chilling. So, like, I watched this with my parents, which is a crazy fucking stupid thing. <laughs> uh, it, it was Christmas Eve, and we watched the Christmas stories we do every single Christmas. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, you know, I'm going to watch uh, another movie by this director later. I don't know. I don't think you guys want to. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I, I am going to. So if, if you're interested, there's this movie, Black Christmas. I'm like, okay, we'll check it out. And there are a lot of points where I was like, oh, I'm watching this with my parents. <laughs> like when the, the first call where it, it, they're just uh, saying the C word quite a lot. I was like, oh, yeah. you keep saying pink pussy. Oh, you're pink pussy. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> Uh, but then, yeah, at the, at the end, you know, the phone's ringing. My dad's like, well, who did it? And he's like, well, they, they fucking never caught him. <laughs> he's just still out there. And we were just all quiet for a moment. <laughs> who did it? Whoever yeah. is still in the Doesn't, attic. He, we don't know. He, he got away with it. <laughs> That's chilling. Uh, that's so chilling. Yeah, I guess we should specify when the phone's ringing and it's got that outside shot of the house. That's the end of the movie. There's nothing yeah, that's else. It. Movie's Credits over. Roll. That's it. Time to go home. Uh, so Check good. Your attic. Terrifying. Very, very fucking frightening ending. Really good movie all the way through. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, totally one of my top uh, slasher movies for sure. There's not a bad scene or actor or character. Yeah, everyone's really good. Everything's interesting. While there is a lot of character moments, none of them really feel like padding. No, it's great. Like, we skipped over one where where it was just a meanwhile at the police station, some old gun guy shot a cop because he was on the property. <laughs> right, right. In the ass. Yeah, like, the, the cop was, like, badly hurt, but he's really mad about it. <laughs> I'd do it again. Yeah, you just it, it gives you a sense of the flavor of this area that it is sort of a rural college in this really snowy, out of the way area. So the cops you have here are not trained city cops who have dealt with the sort of city crime. They're, you know, college town cops. And serial killer <clears throat> methodology, like the serial killer boom was just starting at this point. Right. It, the methods didn't exist to catch yeah. them. This is literally the same year that the movie Deranged comes out, which is like the first movie about a real serial killer. Because, you know, Psycho had come out, which was about Ed Gein, but it was really loosely about Ed Gein. This is where people are starting like, maybe this is a whole phenomenon that we need to look at a little bit closer. And Ted Bunny's like, nah, 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 you don't got to do that. (laughs) Well, this 1974 is the start of his rampage, his first one. Oh, shit. Yeah. So th- this is the year he starts going. So it's definitely in the air. There's a lot of this stuff happening at this point in time. So it's sort of inevitable that the slasher would emerge. Uh, but it's crazy to watch this one. It's like it really emerges fully formed. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, And Halloween borrowed so much. Even the ending. Like the, the ending <laughs> is a version of this. Yeah, um, it, it totally is, too. I think this one would not have worked with a Loomis character. No, you can't really have any dedicated detective because that that is kind of key to the movie, I think, is that it is a criticism of 
uh, police methodology in these sorts of cases, that it isn't viable. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's uh-huh. a great movie. Fucking rules. Yeah, yeah, great. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, like, I think my favorite parts were the character moments, although the kills, the kills were great. I agree. And I think that's the mark of a really great slasher movie is that you respect the characters and you root for them, even knowing that the killer is going to kill most, if not all of them, that you you still like them and care about them and they matter, even though you do basically know that they are there to die for entertainment in a weird sort of way. Yeah, but, you know, you kind of hope that maybe one or two will get out. Yeah. And it almost looks like one will. Right. Uh, but then the the ending pulls the rug out, and it's just the fucking most chilling slasher ending ever. It's just fucking great. Yeah. So wow. yeah, it rules. Uh, any last thoughts on Black Christmas before we move on to our third and final section? Um. Yeah, the podcast is coming from inside the house. Oh no. <laughs> And we're back for our third and final section where we're talking about other movies watched in the past week and deciding what we're going to watch next week. So we're in the beginning of January 2023, and it is Resolutions Month. Uh, So I have a bunch of little resolutions for myself in terms of stuff I'm watching. I've already crossed a couple of those off. Oh, what are some of yours? I'm curious. So first one was I got to watch something from the first row, something that's been in the stack for a really long time from the beginning. So I watched the very first thing. We've done that. Cool. Also, I was going to uh, uh, plan was to do at least one week this month where I watch up to two movies per day. Fourteen. We did that this week. So we got that out of the way as well. Nice. Nice. And the other thing is going to be to take charge. So I'm going to be making the main pick this week as well. But we'll get to that after we go through the watched films. So first up, we've got Solomon King. This, this is, looks like a black exploitation. It certainly is a black exploitation. This is a, a weird one. It's a, it's a real regional one. This was a lost film up until quite recently. They found this one print and this is the release of it. Uh, It rules. It's got a really great soundtrack. It's kind of totally brain damaged. Everyone talks like they're from outer space. It doesn't make a whole (laughs) lot of sense. Uh, But yeah, it's a whole lot of fun. It's this it's like foreign intrigue. Uh, There's a villain who is supposed to be Indian. He is in brown face. (laughs) It's a black guy in brown face. Um, There is... Solomon King, he he's a special agent and he's coming to protect this princess who is just super horny. Uh, <laughs> there's a part where my, my f- absolute favorite part, uh, Solomon King's second in command, dude, they they're ambushed and he shoots this guy and he takes the, the cash out of the guy's pockets. Uh, that he got for trying to betray them, and he just throws it at the corpse, and he's like, spend it on your dead ass now! (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Uh, Next, we've got Silent Night, Deadly Night 3. Better watch out. Recycling day! (laughs) Yeah, kind of, well, I, I would say the previous one was much more of a recycling day. There's not as much clips in this one. Oh. There's like just a couple. There's only like maybe a couple minutes worth. They oh, wow. do a bunch of clips at the beginning of the movie. They they have some stuff from 
uh, the beginning, but not much else. They they do include Ricky seeing Santa shot, but the way they kind of edit this one is they sort of suggest that Billy doesn't exist. It's just Ricky was the only one, and they don't say much about Ricky's rampage. They just say that Ricky had this rampage, and one of the cops in this movie says he was one of the cops on the scene who shot him to death and like, you know, his brain was on the, you know, that we, we really blew that guy away. We shot him like 12 times. Uh, there's no way he's alive. But the thing is Benjamin Horn from twin peaks, <laughs> he's this mad scientist and he, he's obsessed with dreams. He's a, he's a dream scientist. So he has rebuilt Ricky's brain. (laughs) (laughs) And it's in this blinking glass dome, so you can see his brain all the time in the movie. Uh, And he finds this psychic girl, and he connects her to him through their dreams. So he shows her clips of the previous movie in dreams. And then (laughs) she's going home for Christmas, and he breaks out. You know, he wakes up, uh, he kills a guy in a Santa costume who drunkenly shows up in his room for no apparent reason. Of course. And then, uh, yeah, he hitchhikes out of there (laughs) with his fucking (laughs) glass brain dome. Hitchhikes down (laughs) out to the town that she lives in and, you know, starts slashing people, obviously, trying to find her because he's got this uh, psychic connection with her for some reason. Right. It's dumb. It's really bad. Uh, Ricky is still the killer. He's played by Bill Moseley who you might know from the Rob Zombie movies. Okay, I did don't, you see, but... Did you see House of a Thousand Corpses or Devil's Rejects? So, so long ago. He's like the main guy in those. He's like, okay. there's Sid Haig, who's the clown, and then there's the skinny heroin-looking guy. That's Bill Mosley. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So he's Ricky. Uh, and it do also, the eyebrows? Uh, no. He doesn't, oh. like, he also doesn't talk. Oh, <laughs> he just doesn't talk at all. Uh, the the girl's boyfriend is also from Twin Peaks. It's Leo, but with the really poodly hair that he has in the pilot episode. New shoes. New shoes. Weird. Uh, pretty bad, but it's more of a movie. It, it feels like a real movie. <laughs> Not like the second one where it's an edit. <clears throat> the second one was still good, though. It just wasn't a movie. This one's is kind of fun. Like, it's definitely slower paced, but it's got its stuff. Okay. Next up, we've got The Hot Month of August, which is the next Doris Wishman uh, Greek movie that she dubbed. Oh, right. <laughs> okay, I want to see one of these. This one's decent. Uh, th- this one, it, I don't feel like there's a lot of Wishman character to it. I think mainly just because the it's a pretty basic noir plot that was pretty straightforward and really well constructed and it's just like you can see it in the movie and you don't there's not a lot of room for her to project her weirdness onto okay okay and it's pretty nicely shot uh way better shot than your typical doris wishman film uh (laughs) so it's it's also harder for her to do insert shots where it's her actors doing stuff because she can't really do euro art house filmmaking although she tries a couple times and it looks really funny <laughs> like really gauzy stuff in her apartment which is supposed to be art house <laughs> but yeah uh i i feel like she didn't get the original movie all that much entirely like she got the basic plot but 
I think the original movie was kind of supposed to be funny. Like, I think it's a satire of a noir. This version isn't a satire. Hmm. Okay. All right. Now, now I'm interested and curious. So next we've got The Black Crystal, which is not The Dark Crystal, the Jim Henson one, although it uses a very similar logo. Yeah, that looks like the same logo. (laughs) Yeah. So it's made in Tucson, Arizona, and it's a very regional horror. Like, I think it's a shot on 8mm or 16mm, and it's... It's so regional, like, it's all really out-of-the-way places. Like, it, it seems like outskirts of town everywhere they are. Like, every place looks like somewhere where you'd go to dump a body. Every <laughs> single location in the movie. So, there's this dude, he's driving through the desert. He's got this red Trans Am. And he encounters this hitchhiker who's on the run because he was attacked by this weird murder cult. Uh, led by Daniel. <laughs> Not Daniel. Daniel, who's immortal. He's just this immortal warlock guy. Uh, and he he kills the dude that Mark is with, and then they're after Mark for a while. So he finds this witch lady who used to be Daniel's girlfriend, and she advises him on how to deal with Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Who would win a fight between Daniel, the immortal, or Trevor, the imaginary uh, uh, jewel skull thing from Hmm. the Wild Boys? I feel like Daniel – Daniel is actually immortal, although I think he has one weakness uh, because ultimately they they are, spoilers, able to defeat him with his weakness. I think he's – I think they're able to get him with – Fires. I don't even remember how they kill him now. Uh, they they do manage to stop him, but it, it's like an elaborate thing that they have to bring about. Okay. And also, Trevor's not really real. Right. Trevor is just In the context a, of his own movie. Yeah, he's a manifestation of teen angst. So next up, we've got AVPR. Aliens versus Predator Requiem. <laughs> now, I think this one I haven't seen. So this one I saw in theater, and I have kind of a soft spot for it, but it is terrible. It stinks. <laughs> oh, really? It's, it is it is unquestionably a worse movie than AVP, even though I kind of enjoy it a little bit more. Because it's just straight up a slasher movie. A uh, really crappy 80s slasher movie that's a badly made 2007 movie. <laughs> oh, because the first Alien was kind of a slasher. Right, and I do feel that that's sort of what they're going for but it's much more of a predator movie than an alien movie the alien is kind of secondary although they do have the pred alien still running around from the end of avp right right not that it has much to do uh the the biggest problem is that it's very badly shot like it is so dark <laughs> like you cannot see what's going on half the time <laughs> and like i'm someone who watches fucking shot on video stuff this looks worse than most of that uh it's <laughs> it's hard to see what's happening it's also extremely gory very stupid a lot of characters just get randomly killed off it's really cynical all right <laughs> but again i have kind of a weird uh soft spot for it because it does have just kind of a stupid 80s slasher feel to it which I enjoy more than the uh, stupid aughts blockbuster of the first one. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't care for the first one. 
No, I hate it. <laughs> I, I thought I might like it more on this last watch, and I, I didn't. But, you know, I'll give it another try again sometime. Uh, next, we've got American Rickshaw, which uh, is getting into some stuff that you watched with me on New Year's. Yeah, now this, I don't know exactly what I was expecting. Uh, I was expecting, and I did get kind of like cheap 80s martial arts action i wasn't expecting it to be so like beautifully beautifully shot shot. (laughs) it's incredible looking like all those slow motion shots with him running through the rain uh the stuff with the cat Uh, the the second in command guy with the key (laughs) yep um Oh, Donald Pleasance turning into a pig. <laughs> Donald, uh, Donald Pleasance trying to talk pig. Southern. <laughs> Donald Pleasance's Southern accent. Ooh. Uh, the second in command guy being a Jonestown survivor. Right. That's out they of just kinda That's totally crazy. Mention it once and then it doesn't come up again. And that our main guy, Mitch Gaylord, was born on 666, as was the... <laughs> thumbless villain who tries to take a porno of him that starts all of this in motion. It's an extremely strange movie, which is kind of beautiful though. It's a good thing that 10,000 years ago, the ancient Chinese knew that somewhere on another part of the planet, a civilization would make the number six, six, six and the number nine, nine, nine look the same upside down. Yeah, of course. It's amazing that they predicted that. Sure, I mean, numbers were around. Uh, I, I believe uh, they, they were started in the Middle East. They were, but this <laughs> would have had to have been at least 10,000 years ago, and I don't know if they're that old. I don't know. Uh, next up, we've got Killer Party, which was also a total blast. This is sort of a prank movie where it is a movie that is playing with the audience's expectations at all times. Yeah, it, it sets itself up. We, we talked about it briefly uh, when it came up in the watch stacks before. Mm. It sets itself up as a horror movie about like being buried with the corpse of someone's mother. But turns out they're just watching a movie in a drive-in. And then she gets attacked in the drive-in. But it turns out that's like a thriller-type music video. And then we're watching a whole music video. And then it cuts out. And then it's our actual girl... But she seems to be the final girl. It turns out she's the fucking villain at the end. Spoilers, I guess. But <laughs> it's it's such a weird ride. It It is constantly messing with you. You don't know who is supposed to represent what. I really love it, but I can understand why some people get in. Well, I kind of can't, but it's that whole thing of, oh, it's just fake outs and fake kills. And people get really upset about that. it's a movie it's fake anyways (laughs) yeah we're not we're not gonna kill real people although in this one it does end up being all real kills ultimately but it it takes a while to get there it's such a great time though yeah i didn't realize it was gonna go back into being a horror movie i thought it was just gonna stay a cop right yeah uh it it does a really good job with it and i really like all the characters much like we talked about with black christmas they're likable characters you kind of enjoy yeah yeah i i the nerd girl reminds me of the exact same character from the 2016 Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. She's kind of got that look. They're pretty similar. Uh, next up, we watched Koya Nascotsi. Uh, your Koya first viewing. What a great movie, right? Koya Nascotsi. I can't describe it, but yeah. 
it's it's so fucking great. Just uh, lots of time lapse footage of all these things, uh, all these cool places. It's got a real political impact to it. Uh, we took we we watched this. Uh, it ended with the spinning debris uh, right before fireworks started at midnight. We timed it really well. Yeah, by accident. That was crazy because we took a break. Right. Uh, and I, I was on an edible, so I was have I was really, really stoned and it was great. Uh, I, I've seen Quina Scotsy a billion times and I absolutely love it. Um, all those fast motion shots of the people like going through subways and shit, the traffic and ah. Some of it's intense. Yeah. But like when it's the outrun section of just uh, them at night. Uh, the grid section uh, is is the the Philip Glass song for that, where it's just all the lights blurring around them when they're driving in the car, and uh, all of the blue light nighttime stuff. Just oh, that's my that's my comfort space. This is one of my favorite things to watch. And it's, we followed uh, that up with Stations of the Elevated. Stations of Elevated. It's a Koyana Scotty. It's a Koyaanisqatsi-esque kind of thing, but obviously it's a much more low-key thing. It's trains. It's uh, yeah. graffiti on trains, specifically. And, how, and, like, the graffiti gives the train cars personality and character. Right, and and I, it's it's sort of an argument for graffiti, that it, it is sort of this beautiful public art, and it's contrasting it with all the billboard art around the L the soulless talentless billboard wiki how art some of it's good and some of it's really bad but some of that also has some real fun character to it that one really thick burger patty always makes me laugh Uh, the smoking billboard the smoking billboard with the it has lips just like charles bronson (laughs) yeah uh the billboard is watching you well, and there's the billboard with the gun, and they have that bit where they have uh, they pretend to have a face-off between a train and a billboard where they are shooting at each other because someone's painted a gun on one of the trains, too. <laughs> a lot of fun. It is a lesser-seen film, but uh, kind of a, a much more vibrant and positive, kind of a, a nice way to end our New Year's. Yeah, it's it's definitely positive. Um I, I liked it quite a bit, too. Yeah, I love it. Uh, next up, we've got Variety Lights, which has been the first item on the stacks for quite some time. Uh, I this think is only ap- adaptation was above it. That's right. So this is the debut film. It's the first directorial effort of Federico Fellini. And it, but he kind of just co-directed it. My understanding is he more supervised it and the other guy directed it. OK, but it does have a lot of his flavor in his themes it's about actors traveling actors a variety show and it's very affectionate towards them everybody thinks they're the star uh, every, every single person in this troupe believes they're the star and none of them are really all that talented most of them are not <laughs> making money they're really not getting paid they're kind of moving from place to place and they're all just arguing all the time so this one guy he finds this girl who's just won a dance competition and he's like, all right, this is going to be my new star. I'm going to start a whole new routine around her. And he's just trying to get this off the ground. But the only way he can do it is by asking for money from uh, his previous leading lady. And she is really the heart of the film, played by Julietta Messina, who uh, later married Fellini and is just sort of like his real muse. Cool. 
it's nice. It's definitely not fully formed Fellini, but it's a it's a good movie. Right on, right on. Next, we've got another debut film, Alien Dead, or The Alien Dead. It's kind of a, a, a Night of the Living Dead ripoff, but water. It, like they they're coming out of a Florida swamp. Ooh, you could hide a lot of bodies and zombies in there. Yeah, it's slow. (laughs) (laughs) Extremely, extremely slow. There is one, like, they're also alien zombies. I mean, it's alien dead. They're reanimating dead. And they they do have, like, they kill people and then they rise again as zombies. But that takes quite a while. There is just this one zombie who's very zombie-ish, who I think is supposed to be an alien. But it's a really fake rubber suit. Uh, This is incredibly cheap. This is a (laughs) super, super low budget movie. My favorite bit is really the final freeze frame because it just has the the zombie pop up out of the water and it just freeze frames on him and just plays this really (laughs) cheerful country music as the credits roll. Just the zombie there the whole time. Sunshine, lollipops and rainbows everywhere. Well, the weird thing is that it, it plays out the whole credits it rolls the whole credits and then there's still a bunch of song left. So they just leave the freeze frame of the zombie and just play the song. <laughs> it's just going on and on. That's fun. Next from the Euro crypt of Christopher Lee, we've got Dracula and son. All right. Which is like Dracula trying there. They want to do Dracula as a comedy. It's a French film. That's like, let's do Dracula, but funny, which never really works. Yeah. Vampire in Brooklyn, Dracula Dead and Loving It. Uh, I did. Get, I I don't know of a time that it's worked. What we do in the shadows? What we do in the shadows is good, but that's not Dracula. No, that's you're just right. That's vampires. not. This one's you're Dracula. Right. Uh, like it's straight up Dracula. Christopher Lee as Dracula. Uh, the thing is, he, so he he abducts this woman. Uh, he gets her pregnant, and then she very unwillingly becomes a vampire after that to be his wife. And then when she, like she has a really hard time working up to killing. And then ultimately the first time she tries to go out to do it, she kind of blows it and she ends up getting killed herself. So it's just Christopher Lee and his son, Ferdinand, who's a nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Not a nerd. He's a nerd and a peacenik. He can't kill anyone. He just never is able to do it. And it flashes forward 300 years, and it's the the present day, and they're in Romania, you know, Transylvania, and a bunch of communists come and just run them out of their castle. <laughs> and they 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 find some French navy men and they kill them, and they're hiding out in their uh, coffins to be taken back to France, but they get buried at sea. So <laughs> sure. Christopher Lee's uh, coffin ends up being picked up by a fishing boat and he gets taken to London and he becomes a movie star starring as Dracula in movies, which is <laughs> kind of fun. And then Ferdinand, his his coffin just washes up on a beach in France and he's, you know, he he's a lower class dude. He doesn't really know how to take charge in any situation. So he finds some foreign workers who are undocumented living in a flop house and he just becomes friends with them and starts being exploited by capitalists. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so that stuff is all really fun. I kind of liked the movie a lot up to that point. The thing is 
once Christopher Lee movie star Dracula finds out his son is actually living in a flop house in France, he comes and picks him up. He tries to get him to be successful. He buys him a really expensive coffin. And it turns into a sex farce where they're both attracted to the same woman. Oh, no. Not goes bad. Goes totally fucking bad. Uh, but, it, you know, it was, it was fun up to that point. Damn, ne- that sucks. Uh, <laughs> next, we've got Children of the Corn. Oh, I never saw this one. This is a Stephen King adaptation. It's another one of his very explicit, like, hey, evangelicals are terrifying, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's about this small town in the middle of Nebraska called uh, crap, Grafton, something like that. It's it's super religious. It's this religious, isolated uh, farm town. They grow corn. And clearly they're very uh, fire and brimstone religion. And, you know, it's it's one of those areas where anytime you turn on the radio, you're just getting a fire and brimstone preacher. Oh, yeah. Now a word from our sponsors. You will all burn in hell unless you head on down to Howie's over on Highway 72. Yeah, it's that sort of thing. Like we do see a couple bits where we have. Our, like our main characters later are two tourists passing through from Seattle. Uh, one's a doctor and the other one's Linda Hamilton from Terminator. Oh, which is kind of cool. Uh, but the thing is that this tiny town, uh, the children have decided because of the preaching and because they're being talked to by Randall Flagg, for sure. Oh, yeah. Because uh, it, it's he who walks behind the rose is how they describe him, which is a name I believe he has in the stand. Hmm. So it's ultimately, not what I remember, but it could be. It's it's one of the various names I believe he has. But anyway, they are worshiping him as this pagan deity in the corn, and they decide that they're just going to uprise. They kill all of the parents in town. And okay. It's three years later, so all of the parents have been dead, and they've just been living this feral cult existence for several years. And these people going through just get wrapped up in what's going on, and they sort of uncover all of the stuff that's going on in this town and this monster that lives in the fields and everything. It's pretty good. It's very slow-moving. Uh this is one that people always tend to say is really boring. I have a soft spot for it, but again, I saw it when I was a kid. It's one that I saw when I was really young and just it kind of always stuck with me, even though it has it has a lot of dead sections. Like, it takes a while to get places. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> and last up is the Mephisto Waltz, which is an early 70s Satan exploitation film pretty soon after Rosemary's Baby and... Uh, very heavily copying Rosemary's Baby. Okay. Have you ever seen Rosemary's Baby? Uh, I have not. Okay, so th- it's it's got a lot of that. It's focused on the wife of this guy who has gotten into he he we we gradually lose track of the guy because he gets involved with Satanists, whereas the wife is sort of the main character who's just kind of dealing with her husband getting in with Satanists. <laughs> So in this case, her husband is Alan Alda. Oh. And it's, you know, it's young Alan Alda, pretty early in the run of MASH, I think, because this would be 71. And he's a concert pianist, but he has sort of fallen on hard times. It, it didn't work out for him, so now he's just a journalist. And he goes to interview this guy who's like the greatest pianist of all time. Right. And this guy is a rich, dying Satanist, 
and he really wants those hands. Oh, no. Is this a get-out situation? It is exactly a get-out situation. Uh, he, okay. His daughter, who he has a weird kind of relationship with, uh, ha- has this ability to enact body swaps using clay masks and blue paint and pentagrams and shit. Yeah, I don't know. Cool. <laughs> she can do all sorts of stuff with that. All right. Uh, but yeah, she he dies and his spirit inhabits Alda and... Uh, it just becomes this whole thing where she's just trying to the the wife is trying to figure out what the hell's going on around her. Okay, it's pretty good. Uh, it's very weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's get out, but Alan Alda is the desirable uh, person in the middle of it. Interesting. So I have included the New Year's stuff we watched because you know the it is stuff I watched to get all valid yep. uh, things for us to pick. So we've got sure. those fourteen. Uh, what do you figure? Uh, inter yeah, it's hard to say, uh, but I think I'm gonna try the Mephisto Waltz. Alrighty, it's a, a fun Satan exploitation piece. Uh, it'd be interesting to delve into that, uh, uh, an area that we haven't really looked at before. Yeah, I, so I don't think I've ever watched anything from that. Uh... Well, have you ever seen The Exorcist? Oh, well, I've seen The Exorcist. <laughs> the Exorcist is really the main key work, although that comes a couple years after this. So this okay. is Satan's exploitation before The Exorcist hits and becomes the definitive work. This one's more copying Rosemary's Baby, which sort of starts off the craze. Gotcha. So we have only a handful of additions to the main stacks, although we will not be picking from those this week, but I'll just go over them real quick. All right. So first, there's The White Sheik, which is the second or maybe the first proper Federico Fellini film. Uh, it's about actors again. <laughs> okay. There's, there's this lady who's on her honeymoon, and she's totally obsessed with movies. And it happens that while they're on their honeymoon, her favorite actor who plays The White Sheik, this daring uh, uh, kind of a, a adventure serial type character, uh, he happens to be vacationing there at the same time, and she just becomes totally obsessed with him. Oh my god, she's got to get his autograph. Yeah, and it just becomes this whole silly farce. She decides she wants to become an actress, and she's going to work her way into the set and stuff. Right. <laughs> uh, I've seen it before. I recall it being pretty fun and charming, but uh, cool. not one of his best works yet. He's still developing. All right. Next is Murder Story, which is... Uh, Next one in the Euro Crypt of Christopher Lee. Now this uh, one looks like it has a rad BMX bike. <laughs> this is such a cool cover, doesn't it? The the poster art is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really know what it's about exactly. Or my my understanding is that it's Christopher Lee plays a horror author or a mystery author, and there's this young up and coming author who's trying to get some advice from him. And they're like, well, you just start looking through the newspaper and you find a story that interests you and you just start looking into it. So they do that. But it turns out they uncover this whole government conspiracy. As you do. Yeah. Uh, Which sounds kind of crazy. It sounds like fun. Cool. Next, we've got Too Much Too Often, which is the next Doris Wishman picture. (laughs) That sounds like a Doris Wishman. Isn't it? That's such a Doris Wishman title. This one is a Doris Wishman character that is not about a woman. It's not a female main character. It's a man. Uh, What's weird... next? Is he going to live in a house? I Yeah, I mean, I, maybe. <laughs> my, my understanding is it's this guy who's, you know, a 50s greaser type. He's always combing his huge hair. 
and he is sort of a dom like he goes out and whips people sometimes now, he carries around a whip it's a thing he does oh. uh, <laughs> so it's yeah it's, it's just the adventures of this sadistic guy who gets he, he runs afoul of someone like there, there's someone he whips who's like the boss of a girlfriend and so he just kind of takes control of this guy because he knows he's into getting whipped i don't know it sounds like <laughs> a real doris wishman movie <laughs> sure sure i'm in and last edition is Steamboat Bill Jr., which is a Buster Keaton film. No relation to Steamboat Willie, I take it. Uh, actually, probably a direct inspiration for Steamboat Willie, maybe. Because this oh. is a very early uh, Buster Keaton. I think it is prior to... Uh, uh, oh, no, it's 1928. So maybe that... I, I feel like Steamboat Willie is 25. So maybe I this is inspired was... by Steamboat Willie. I thought it was 23 or 29. It's one of those two, I thought. Let me look it up. Let's just find out right now. Steamboat. Willie, 28. Oh, so, wow. So, same okay. year. It is entirely possible that Steamboat Willie, the uh, short, was directly inspired by Steamboat Bill Jr. Because, you know, it is a big film at the time. Right. Uh, and yeah, it's yeah, oh yeah, Steamboat Willie came out in November 1928, so uh, it, it would have been late in 28, and I assume that Steamboat Bill Jr. would have been before that. Anyway, it's Buster Keaton. He's uh, he's just out of college, and he's not used to the high seas, but his dad is a steamboat captain. He's like gonna go work with him. <laughs> All right, and you know, lots of great steamboat stunts. Uh, I, there, there's some pretty famous stuff of him running on a steam wheel on the side of a boat, which is really <laughs> famous. Uh, great stuff. I haven't seen it in years, but I recall it being pretty awesome. I think I've seen the steamboat running thing. You probably have. It's one of those really famous bits. Hmm. Right so, on. but we're not picking from the stacks this week because I'm picking because it's my birthday this week, technically. Happy Not that birthday. I celebrate that shit. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, it's fine. Uh, so for our pick, I thought we'd watch an Orson Welles picture, one of my all-time favorites. Oh. Uh, his final film, or at least the final film uh, that he completed in his lifetime before Transformers. He, <laughs> before he became a planet that ate planets, he didn't make uh, the Transformers movie. He was just Unicron. <laughs> I'm a toy uh, that fights other toys. It's terrible. No, it's uh, about toys that do terrible things to each other. Uh, <laughs> no, our film is F for Fake, which is oh. a documentary that he made uh, right at the end of his career about fakery in all of its forms. So he started the film while he was looking at this art forger guy. Uh, this pretty famous art forger who lived in Ibiza and he is doing all these interviews with him and kind of looking at the art of art forgery. Okay. But then there's this guy hanging around as they're doing it and they start to edit the movie. And suddenly this huge scandal comes out regarding this book the guy wrote about Howard Hughes. You know, the famous takedown of Howard Hughes that's about how he's living in with jars of pee and with Kleenex boxes and all of these rumors about him. That's all from this guy's book, which was fraudulent. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. So they, like, 
wait a second, we have all this footage talking with this guy who's involved in this scam. We're, like that book had come out and it had been a sensation. And then Howard Hughes's people and he's like, that's all false. None of that's true. So they're like, huh, let's look into this other faker and like, hey, let's just examine fakery in all its forms. And, you know, Orson Welles very famously did the uh, War of the Worlds broadcast, which was this famous hoax where everybody thought it was real because they played it as if it was a real news uh, thing happening. Yeah, that, that's pretty famous. So it's him sort of de- delving into the fakery of being an artist, of being a filmmaker, and how you lie using film to make things entertaining. Okay. Uh, it's a fucking masterpiece. I love it so much, and I think you'll find it pretty interesting. All right, I'm definitely interested. Cool. So next week, our pictures will be F4 Fake and the Mephisto Waltz, which I do think is probably one of the primary texts for Get Out. Like, I'm sure it must have been an inspiration. All right. All right. So any last thoughts for our first episode of 2023 before we head on in? Yeah, uh, my thought is towards 2022, actually. Mm. Get out! Yeah. Don't let the fucking door hit you on the way out, man. Screw you, 2022. You suck. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It had its points. Uh, mostly bad. Uh, some progress, maybe better than 2021. 2023, uh, you could do better. Come on, you, you bring it out. I'm sure. I'm just, I, I think. I think you can. I think you could pull it off. 2023, if you really wanted to, I think you could be better than 2022. Just. Try to be better. Just try to be better. That's all. That's all we're asking. All right. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, so much for listening. And Goyan is Godzilla.